the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 151. I'm your host Dustin and today I have with me... Uh, this is Ed. And this is Stella. And we are bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from December 14th through January 3rd. We have a total of seven books to cover. That's right, seven books. You probably wouldn't have caught on to that, but we do have a couple of special books like the Robin Risings and we have an extra issue of Eternal and the annual because it's been three weeks since our last episode. So we do have a little bit of comic news, then we're going to jump straight into those books, so let's get into comic news. I want information, and I'll get it any way I please. The very first thing we have is on December 15th, the solicitations were released. Let's uh, start off with graphic novel and trade advanced solicitations. DC released some of the Batman-related graphic novels and trades that will release in the months of April and May of 2015. Several of these are for collected editions of current and former New 52 ongoing titles, the final trade of Zero Year storyline in Batman, a newly numbered volume one for Batgirl that begins with a new creative team change in issue number 35, as well as trades for Batman Superman, Detective Comics, the new Teen Titans, and Harley Quinn. But DC is also releasing several other collected editions, such as paperback collected editions of all the various Zero Euro, Zero Year issues, Book two of a new collected edition of Gotham City Sirens and new collected editions of other ongoings outside of the New 52 label, including Batman 66 and Injustice Gods Among Us Year 2. Lastly, available in May will be the long-awaited second volume of Batman Earth 1. We have the full list up on the website. Um, honestly, out of the group that was announced, the one that was probably a long time coming was volume two of Batman Earth 1. Um, written by Jeff Johns, art by Gary Frank. Um, it's definitely something that, you know, we've been hoping for. Originally, we thought it was going to be actually released the end of this year, 2014. Now we're in 2015. So still a couple months away. I mean, I'm guessing it's going to take about two years in between each one of these issues, one way or the other. So I'm sure number two will, or, you know, volume two will be another New York Times bestseller and be critically acclaimed and we'll see a third volume down the road but i think that's still a ways away but at least we have now to look forward to volume two yeah and i I, i'm looking forward to to getting my hands that because i enjoyed the first one and i was just i thought it was weird that they decided to renumber batgirl with the new creative team um not that i mind it's not a big deal I, i just don't understand some of the issues get creative teams and they renumber the trades and sometimes they don't and i was just I couldn't figure out what the rhyme or reason DCS were doing it, but uh, either way, it's fine. Yeah, there's not a lot of reason of why they would do that. I don't understand it, honestly, either, because they didn't... I remember reading, or uh, I believe it was the discussion that you guys had with Mark Doyle at San Diego, and I think it, we, we didn't have it recorded, but he said that he fought DC on not renumbering Batgirl with the new creative team. He didn't want to start it again at, you know, at, at number one and relaunch it. And I'm wondering if maybe 
okay, so that they got to keep the numbering for the single issues, but when it came to the trades, there was no reason for them not to do it. I don't know. It, it, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense one way or the other. All right, also for the normal solicitations for March 2015, DC announced theirs. Uh, the solicitations reflect a variety of events, including the end of all current DC Weekly titles, except for Batman Eternal, which, as we know, will be returning for a second year after a brief hiatus, an endgame crossover which shares stories from a Gotham plagued by Joker's gas in the pages of Batman, which, of course, we are going to get a crossover event for the... Of course, we were going to get a crossover event from the new arc from Scott Snyder, as well as preparations for the two-month hiatus of all ongoing titles as DC moves to the West Coast, which includes the cancellation of 13 New 52 titles, two of which are TVU titles, Batwoman and... Arkham Manor. Uh, Secret Origins is also being canceled, which is also featured TVU characters. Um, so those are that. Uh, March will see the conclusion of Endgame in the pages of Batman, Gotham, and the Justice League dealing with the superpowered Bat- Damien in Batman and Robin, an old decision haunting Barbara in Batgirl number 40, a <gasps> gang of Harleys in Harley Quinn, the release of The Spectre in Gotham by Midnight, the finale of Catwoman's new- first new arc under the new creative team in Catwoman, Batman also makes another appearance in the pages of Deathstroke in March, as well as the solicitation for Just League mentions the lead into DC's next big event after Convergence, the Dark Side War. Other items worthy of special note including, include the beginning of a prequel comic leading into the upcoming Batman Arkham Knight video game and continuing issues of Injustice Year 3 and Batman 66. Injustice Year 3 will actually also be ending as well in March. Um, one special word about the conclusion of Arkham Manor, the solicitation speaks of revelations about murders which have been going on in the asylum, suggesting that this title, while limited in issues, may have been specifically planned all along as a bridge between the events of Batman Eternal and the current Endgame arc in Batman. The the last last part of the solicitations include a few titles that will be released on April 1st before beginning the Convergence break, including the last issues of weekly titles and several annuals for TV titles, including Batman Robin, Batman Superman, Batwoman, and Teen Titans. We have the full list of all of the books on the website. And I will say this, there is a ridiculous amount of stuff that's coming out. Um, instead of, because April has five weeks, they've decided to use the first week of April to do their annuals, which they would normally do in the last week because of convergence. Um, the one thing that I wanted to talk about that I thought was interesting was we talked about this last time, last episode where we discussed the fact that a lot of these, uh, the, the issues or the series that we're going to be crossing over into Endgame, we kind of said it was a horrible idea. Some of these books have not had even that much of a chance to really establish themselves. And as it turns out, they're not actually interrupting the main series. They're all being written as one shots. And the, they are, they will include Arkham Manor, Detective Comics, Batgirl and Gotham Academy, which we talked about last episode. But all of those same series are, will also be releasing their own issues in the month of March as well. So you'll actually see two issues of each one of these, which I think is nuts. So not only will we see the, you know, the, the normal issues released, which I'm glad that that's happening when it's not interrupting, but an additional four issues for the month of March, just because they're all going to have one shot tie-ins to the event. Now, my question to you guys is, do you think this is a better way of doing it than interrupting the series, or do you think it's a little overkill with the fact that now we just are having to buy an extra four issues? 
I think this is the old problem of six of one, a half a dozen of the other. I don't think either one is, is, is clearly better. I like the fact that the stories aren't being interrupted. Um, but I don't, I, you know, I mean, if you tell me I had to choose one or another, I would take this route as opposed to just stopping the story and picking up in three months because of convergence. Um, but I don't see where we need to do all the, the one shots. Um, it's preferable, but still not ideal. Yeah, I agree with that. I remember it must have been, uh, the fall of 2013, just where, you know, I was reviewing Batgirl and Birds of Prey and I remember having to stop and doing a tie in and then having to stop. And I remember Gothtopia was one of them and it was just so jarring to do that. So, so I, I like this better, just that there is going to be a sequence and a flow. Of course, you know, we don't really want to buy extra issues. And I think our, our complaints remain the same that. Is it really necessary? But I do think this is the better route to go than forcing us off the track of the normal arc and then uh, making us read this. And I agree. I think you know I do like the idea. I do like the fact that they're not interrupting the main series. The main series can continue on with their own stories. With the case of some of these books, they're being written by writers who aren't writing other titles or the, the main series, like. Uh, Frank Thierry is writing the Arkham Manor tie-in. Uh, Brian Buccioletto, who does work with Francis Manipul with Detective Comics, he's doing the issue by himself. So I think in some ways it is a good thing that they're doing it. Do I like the fact that we're having to add on four extra issues? That's probably my biggest complaint because it just seems like if you are a collector of single issues, and this is a, this is a pressing issue in my household. <laughs> If you are a collector of single issues and you are a completist where you want to have the variant covers and all of that stuff, it's very difficult to keep up with what everything that DC is releasing. And I'm uh, literally from a year ago to now, a year ago on average per month, I was spending about 75 to $80 a month on comics. This year, uh, this December, my bill for my comics was $160. <laughs> yeah, just because Strong. of the more stuff, you know, the more, the larger amount of things are releasing, but also the fact there's variant covers for like 10 bat books. Mm. So that's like 10 extra issues. And I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, you know, come, you know, March, it's going to be another one of those months where you're going to have, there's, they're continuing to do the variant covers, you know, going forward. We've, we've talked about this on multiple occasions, how we have uh, Harley Quinn and we've got flash coming up and, you know, there's all these different variant covers, and we've got the movie theme covers that we talked about last episode, and they're cool. Don't get me wrong. I think that a lot of these variant covers are really, really neat, but in some ways, I feel like, you know, it's just another way of milking us for the money, which I guess, you know, they're doing a good job because I keep buying them. Yeah, they've got you drinking the Kool-Aid, sir. Yeah, <laughs> you got you to gotta get on the trade paperback thing, man. I'm telling you, it'll change your life for the better. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's basically all the news we have. Obviously, it's not that much news just because there is a there, there's just not that much because of the holidays. So hopefully, you know, the holidays have passed, but hopefully you had a decent holiday. But uh, we have been left with a ridiculous amount of books. So the first book we're going to get into is Batman and Robin. I could definitely get into the superhero gig. Uh, and and I just want to thank Peter J. Tomasi because his storytelling is so straightforward that my recaps are just so easy to write for this one and the next one, to be honest. Ragger. So Batman and Robin number 37, Robin Rises, Black Hole Sun, which I believe is a reference to the Soundgarden song, but 
you know, I don't know Peter J. Tomasi personally, so I can't ask him. Writer Peter J. Tomasi, penciler Patrick Gleason, inker Mick Ray, and colorist John Kalitz. What a nice Christmas reunion. Darkseid is overjoyed to see Batman in his home. After all, what better way can he get his revenge? Batman ends ends up sending Cal back to another place via a boom tube, so now it's mono e mono, dark side and Batman. Uh, across the yard, Cyborg is pretty busted up and needs Batgirl to open him up and reconfigure him in order to get back to Earth and open up a boom tube. Now, during the fight between Batman and Darkseid, Darkseid hits Batman into Damien's sarcophagus and the Chaos Shard. Darkseid gets his shard and begins crushing Batman under his boot, but Batman gets up and even eggs Darkseid on to kill him. Darkseid would, of course, be glad to do this and shoots his Omega Beams, which Batman actually captures within the Chaos Shard and then sticks the shard into his suit, which powers it up beyond what it can possibly handle. He shoots Darkseid with this new suit thing, grabs the sarcophagus and leads the team through a boom tube that Batgirl was finally able to get working. They wind up in the Batcave. Bruce releases his helmet, and his skin looks like Darkseid, which I thought was an interesting effect. He pulls the shard out of his suit and shoves it into Damien's chest, and he awakens. Weren't we all shocked at this? After a tearful reunion, some confusion from Damien and astonishment from the rest of the Bat family and Cyborg, who can't turn his head and wonders what's going on, Bruce actually collapses due to the overstress that the Chaos Shard caused to his system. And next up is Robin Rises Alpha. I feel like Alpha has so much that I want to talk about, and this one doesn't have as much. Um, what do you guys think about the fight with Darkseid? I think we obviously knew this was coming, but it wasn't as one-sided as I necessarily thought it was going to be. It was pretty even. He, Darkseid did, uh, get, you know, a leg up, but then, I don't know, it seemed like it was a, a better fight than perhaps we all thought. So what do you think about the fight with Darkseid? You know, it was, in some ways, it seemed <laughs> quick. Uh, I mean, in the last couple of issues, we saw that the Hellbat suit was already starting to deteriorate mm-hmm. and was having issues. And to have him be able to not only, you know, put fist to fist with Darkseid in this issue, but then also we saw the Hellbat suit, you know, knock Darkseid out with the, the final blow. Um, you know, I think it was, I think it was fine. I mean, like, I, I don't think I would have wanted to see a longer fight sequence, honestly. Um, it did feel just a slight bit rushed because, you know, they had, they had a goal that they were trying to get to, but I think it went fine. I thought it was fine too. Um, I mean, these are the, it, it was, it was well drawn, uh, and it was, it was easy to follow, uh, which is something that Stella touched on. It wasn't confusing, although you had a lot of characters there and had the, certainly the potential to get really confusing. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think it was fairly streamlined and I think it uh, did what it, it needed to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think my only, my only critique is that we had built this whole thing up for so long and we knew it was coming that when it finally did, it, it did seem so short. Uh, but I liked that, um, you know, Batman wasn't down and out the entire time that he did get in some good shots and, uh, just kept on fighting, which is, you know, Batman's way. The last thing I want to talk about is just the use of the Chaos Shard and the climax of it, you know, using it to capture the Omega Beams and then using something, you know, the Omega Beams, which are used for death, to reanimate Damien. 
do you, I mean, is this what you thought was going to happen? I didn't think this was necessarily how it was going to happen. Obviously, we had to believe that it was going <clears> to <throat> deal in some way with the Chaos Shard because they, I mean, that was a key element from almost the very beginning of, you know, Roz stealing the bodies way long ago. So, I mean, like, in some ways, it, it makes sense that it was involved. The Omega Beams, I did not see, the Omega Beams, I did not see coming as that was part of it. I don't know if, you know, the, it's kind of odd because, like, thinking about it, how did Batman know that that would bring him back to life? That's the thing I, I guess I'm not understanding. Yeah. And I don't know if, you know, if it was explained in some other sequence and I'm just forgetting because, I mean, the story has been, it's been, it's been six months, you know, mm-hmm. it started in July. So, uh, you know, for the most part, I mean, like, do I think, you know, does it, ex- does it perfectly explain it where it's wrapped up nicely with a bow? No, but do I really care? No, because Damien's back, and that's really what we were. That's what the goal of this story was to get Damien back. You know, obviously, you know, we find out in Robin Rises, and even a little bit here that you know he's he is different. He has something you know different about him. We find out he has powers, and I think that's somehow going to be slowly explained. You know, what the effects of the Chaos Shard and the Omega Beams. Somehow they not only brought him back to life, but gave him powers. I'm sure that's all going to be explained somehow because it's, you know, they, they talk about the fact that, you know, they have to keep testing his powers to see mm-hmm. what he's capable of. So I think at some point it probably will be, but I guess the one thing that I wish was that if Batman would have explained how he knew this was, this would help work. Or if it was just like a Hail Mary, I'm just trying to do something that, that could work. Yeah. And I, um, when we first started figuring out that, and, and I still thought this up until the last couple issues, uh, I was under the impression that at some point that this was going to end with them bringing the body back. And I realized that an issue or two ago that it wasn't going to, but I just kind of assumed this entire time with all the Al Ghul stuff that goes on with his grandfather and his mom, I just assumed at some, pa- some point Batman was going to bring his body back and he was going to get dumped into a, a Lazarus pit. Um, and it seems obvious, but you know, the, Oftentimes that's the most, you know, the way things get done. But I was surprised by the way this, this ended up happening. Um, I am with Dustin where I don't see a clear line of, well, if we do this, if we do this, X, X plus Y equals Z, Damien will come back to life. Um, I'm just going to assume that some of that happened off page. Um, but again, I, I think that Dustin hits the right note there, which is on some level, who cares? You know, like if it's a, if it's a miss, a mystical pit, you know, that brings you back to life or if it's, you know, old gods, new gods, technology, who cares? We got Damien back. They want to bring back superpowers. Uh, this is what we got. Uh, so I'm good with it. Yeah. It almost reminds me of, a, I think it's a Tyler Perry movie, woman on the verge. And uh, it, it's almost like father on the verge because I felt like the entire time we're on dark side, very different Bruce Wayne, not as calm, cool and collected and calculating. And I would almost say like everything he did, was just like, I, I feel like he didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, him collecting the Omega beams inside the shard, how would he have known that that was going to work? He was expecting to die, I'm pretty sure. He was just like, I'm going to use this. And then shoving it in, uh, like those huge needles that you see in ER and things like that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I, uh, <laughs> I, I wish it would be explained. Hopefully it will now that he's got superpowers. And, and I think that's the storyline. That's where it's going to take us that maybe something scientific will, will come up. Um, but yeah, I, I was not 
expecting this. I too thought his main goal was to get the sarcophagus back and, and take it to the back cave. And I knew he knew something that the chaos shard would be used in some way because Raish was under that impression the entire time. But I just don't think in this manner. So just shocking at the end. All right. So Batman Robin number 37. I enjoyed this three and a half out of five bad ranks. Um, yeah, I guess three and a half out of five is probably the right number. I will agree and say three and a half out of five. All right, so Batman Robin 37 gets a total of three and a half out of five bad ranks. Let's move into our next book, Robin Rises Alpha. You can't let your emotions get the best of you. Robin Rises Alpha, writer Peter J. Tomasi, penciler Andy Hubert, inkers Jonathan Glapion, and... Andy Kubert, and colorist Brand and Brad Anderson. Now, in honor of the holiday season, I have composed a short song based on the plot of this issue. <clears throat> Jingle bells, Batman is swell, despite issue 37. Damien is alive. Calabac is out of whack, and the Batmobile can no longer drive. Wasn't that wonderful? That's nice. So, <laughs> so the story be. <laughs> Sorry, Dustin. The story begins by repeating what had ended uh, Batman and Robin number 37, albeit with different perspectives like Alfred in the cave before it happened and new details like Cyborg has been infected with the virus and the boom tube that they opened to get back home cannot be closed, along with the system being all messed up. So Damien's alive and Bruce collapses, but it's really not as dramatic as it seemed because he gets up quickly and gears up for a fight and Damien crushes a battering in his hand, which when he said, I crushed it, I wasn't sure what that meant, but then I realized what it meant. Calabac makes a dramatic entrance through the boom tube, is rather upset that he was embarrassed in front of his father and goes after Batman. A short fight ensues and then Batman is tossed into the cave lake and Damien pulls him out shortly before dashing off at a quick speed. Calabac hits the rest of the Bat family, including the animals, until Damien delivers a heavy punch. The fight between Calabac and Damien destroys the Batmobile, <laughs> threatens the life of Bat-Cal, and finally makes use of that giant penny. So it's not collecting dust any longer. Cyborg systems come back online, and he's about to shut the boom tube when Batman uses the Batwing, I assume that was the Batwing, to shove Calabac through the boom tube, ejecting right before the impact, a la the Dark Knight uh, rises. Damien right, uh, rightly notices that, well, something's a little off about him. He hugs his animals and Alfred. Cyborg leaves to go back to the uh, Justice League, and he's a little less angry than I would expect him to be. Tim, Jason, and Babs give back the Robin insignias to Damien, saying that there can be only one. Somewhere near Nanda Parbat, a naked and amnesiac Talia attacks some natives for their food and fire, and she doesn't know who she is. At Wayne Manor, Damien, Bruce, Titus, and Alfred survey the graves of Damien. I guess it's not really Wayne Manor anymore. It's more like Arkham Manor. Survey the graves of Damien and Talia and talk about the powers that Damien is now manifesting. Damien wonders why his grave is destroyed while his mother's is not, and Bruce explains that Damien was the mission, not Talia. The bat signal shines, and it is off to work once more. And next up was, wasn't it Batman and Robin superpowered? Yep. Uh, okay, so my first question is about Bruce. Uh, in the previous issue, just with everything that his, his bat suit is saying to him and him collapsing, I thought this could be really bad, but he just gets up after this. Do you have any thoughts about him just collapsing for a moment, dusting himself off and then going off to fight again? 
I did find it slightly odd, um, because honestly, at the end of the last issue, and I know this issue did a couple page recap of what happened at the end of the 37, but there, it does portray as that suit is like killing him, straight killing him. Right. And, you know, he has to get the suit off because the suit is literally killing him. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I'm trying to think of a different way to put it, but it, it's literally killing him. And everybody's saying, get the suit off, get the suit mm-hmm. off. And he's shooting the parts off the suit so that the suit is off of him. And then, <clears throat> I don't know, like he, I, I don't know if he fainted or what, but like when, after he hugs Damien, he falls over. Alfred's like, oh, he's got a pulse, but he's, but, uh, you know, we, we need to postpone this reunion so we can get you guys checked out. And then they just, go straight to the fight and it, right. it was slightly odd but you know i will what my defense on it will be batman did get thrown to the side he did get thrown into the water and he was out of the fight for the majority of the time mm-hmm. damien was the one who pulled him out of the water but he still was on the sidelines the entire time so do we know the full effects of what has happened with the you know suit no i think that might be explained but it is slightly odd how we go from you know, we're going to get you guys checked out to let's go have dinner with the entire Bat family up in the dining room to let's go uh, stand outside and wait for the Bat signal to appear in the sky to let's go on patrol. Um, there's that, that was, that's, I guess, where the disconnect is because you never really see what the effects of him being in that suit were, which we knew from the very beginning when he got the suit that the suit would be, you know, harmful to him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would, I wish, that was explained a little bit better, but again, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I guess the suit wasn't was off of him because they showed the suit off of him. So, I guess again, do we really need to know the specifics? I mean, sometimes it's nice to know the specifics, but I don't know that the specifics really add to the story one way or the other. Do you think there will be long term effects? I mean, it's entirely possible. It could be interesting to see what could happen if they're like down the line. See, you know, all mm-hmm. of a sudden. There's a reason why he is the way he is, and it's because of being in that Hellbat suit. That would be interesting. It could be a unique story, too. It would be interesting to see if there was fallout. And I kind of took it, uh, what Dustin said, the suit was killing him. The way I was mentally going through it is once he got out of the suit, that that was the biggest problem was the suit. So once he got out of it, he was he was okay. Um, there, there does seem to be a compressed timeline here with the dinner and the walking. And, and I think internally, for whatever reason, although now that I'm flipping through the issue, I see that there isn't any, there isn't, there isn't any evidence in the book. For, for whatever reason in my mind, I had took it where this was happening farther down the road, but there isn't anything in the book that says that at all. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a miraculous recovery. Um, but I think that that was because this isn't an excuse, but I think it's because Tomasi had other things he really wanted to deal with in this issue, primarily being, Damien's return and and the superpowers and the thing with Bruce almost just kind of got pushed out of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was it threw me off a little bit just because I thought 37 ended so dramatically that they're reunited and then he collapses and I thought oh this could be really good if you know he's really out of it and then when he stood up and he had his suit on right away I thought oh this is a little strange and I I completely get and hear Dustin's defense of that the fact that he wasn't performing up to task and he was really out of the fight but I just wonder what it would have looked like to see him just completely comatose and the rest of the Bat family really defending him. And it, of course it would turn out the same way with Damien being the one 
to really face Calabac, but just have Bruce being out for once, which is something that you don't normally see and having everyone else defend him, uh, instead of him getting up so quickly. Cause he was, he still did a lot, you know, driving the plane or flying the plane and then jumping. I mean, that's still a lot. So I just had a bit of a, a problem with that. Uh, what do you th- th- your thoughts on <laughs> the fight between Calabac and Damien and also just showing his powers a little bit at a time? Because you see him running away from his dad. You saw the Batarang first. See kind of different things happening. You know, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, we've never really had a super-powered member of the Bat family. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. people would argue that Superman's in some ways, but not really. I mean, he's he's not part of the Bat family. So when you have... A character who has superpowers. We've talked, we talked about this before when it was first revealed that he was going to have superpowers. Right. That, you know, it's, it's going to be an interesting dynamic having Damien who has these crazy abilities to do stuff that Bruce, you know, cannot do and how they will interact with each other because of it because Bruce is still the normal man with, you know, you know, great skills, but not abilities. And, you know, I think. Seeing the fight between him and Calabac, it was, it was kind of cool how it slowly unraveled into this, you know, Damien, you know, first he smashes the Batarang because he doesn't understand his own strength. And then, you know, he gets thrown, but he's, you know, he, he realizes he doesn't feel any pain. I think it was a really cool way to just slowly build up the fact that he has abilities. I'm almost waiting, to, like, I, I'm looking forward to the next couple issues where we start to discover more of his powers because it would be insane to me if he ended up having powers that could match Superman or somebody like, because at least what we've seen, I mean, he has powers that, you know, at least what they've shown, the fact that he doesn't get hurt, he can, he can move real fast. He can, he's super strong. I mean, I think it'd be really interesting then to just bring Superman into the series for a short amount of time to kind of be like, maybe the mentor for mm-hmm. Damien because he has these powers and had to learn how to use them or control them. And now Damien has, you know, similar powers. I think it could be a really cool story. And now I think now, and I guess this is, this isn't necessarily related to what you asked, but I think now that Damien's back, we're going to move into a very, like we're going to move back into that lighter side of the, the, the series where we start to focus more on the emotional relationship between Bruce and Damien and it, not, not so much about the grieving, angry father that we've seen for over a year. Right. I think that this is something that kind of bothered me when I read this book, which was not that the way it was handled, not the way that it was wrote, but this is where kind of all these spoilers coming out kind of screws up an issue for you because there is no moment of, of aha when we realize that Damien's kind of superpowered, you know, um, we knew it was coming and I wish, and I don't know how in the world of spoilers and everyone trying to get the stuff out there, I don't know how you do it, but I think, well, we know exactly how it can be done because it was done for Joker's return. Yeah. I mean, don't, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I felt like some of the punch of the story was taken out. I mean, besides the fact, Damien came back to life, and then we found he had superpowers. I mean, kind of the whole issue was, I don't want to say I didn't enjoy it, because that's not, that's not the case. But I felt like we were, we were missing the whole punch of the issue, you know, which was the realization that Damien has superpowers. And like you said, Dustin, a month or so ago, we were talking about what kind of ramifications him getting superpowers would have two issues ago, you know. So I think that that's unfortunate. But I think the way it's handled here is fine. Um, I think it would be interesting to see – 
one of the Superman family members. I don't think Superman would fit. I like it when he interacts with Bruce, but I think Supergirl, um, who's actually <laughs> series I really like. I think Supergirl would actually work better with, with Damien because she's kind of got the fish out of water thing that Damien has going on where she doesn't mm-hmm. fit in with the rest of the world. Um, but I think it would be kind of fun to have someone come in and, and, and test this out. This is, of course, going to, you know, have the old problem, which is what kind of situations are Batman and Robin going to find themselves in where Robin, where Batman is of any help to Damien at all? If he's, yeah. if he's Kryptonian per se, because whatever villain would be, um, would be a problem for Batman. It's not going to be an issue for Robin, and if the and if the villain is so great that it needs Robin's superpowers to take care of him, what will Batman's role be? Now, I'm not saying that I don't think the stories can be good because I think if anybody can can tackle it, it'll be Tomasi. Um, but I am really curious to see where it's going to go. So I, I do have some eyes look to the future, uh, like Dustin does in this title. But let me ask you this because I was thinking about this uh, when uh, I was reading this. What do you think of? How long do you think it'll have these powers? Because I honestly don't believe that he's going to have these powers, you know, long-term forever. Oh, I think he'll be dead in a year. I think he'll be dead in a year. I, I think they'll come off here. What? I really... Do I really? We, do you, yeah. Are you saying Damien's going to be yeah, yeah. dead? I think, I, I think he'll be dead again in a year. Wow. Well, so, it's, it, it's just, it's just like, if, and, I, and I'm not trying to jump ahead to Batman 37, right? But if you look at what happened in Batman 37, and you look what happened in those Future Ends books, Right? It all kind of hints that Damien comes back and then dies again, and this Duke kid becomes Robin. Mm. But then the problem, I guess, the, the problem we're still left with is we still have no idea where this fits in with the timeline of everything else. Right, and, and I think the timelines are problematic, but I think you're starting to see enough points that maybe he doesn't die. Maybe because you're about to see this big multiversity thing happen. Maybe he ends up on Earth two or something like that. But I don't think that he'll be around as Robin. For long, just call it a gut feeling. Well, Future's End could always get wiped out completely. Oh, but, sure, absolutely, absolutely. But I think that what I, we saw in Batman Thirty Seven this month with that character who we just saw in the Future's End issues, who was who was absolutely robbed, you know, all of a sudden show up in Batman's life in a major way, um, just makes me think that that character is not going anywhere either. So, just yeah. curious. Yeah, I, um, something that, that, uh, Ed was talking about interested me and, and Dustin as well. It almost reminded me of Arrow when Roy had been infected with the, um. Miracuata. Yes, the Miracuru virus whatever. and, and he's some, <laughs> whatever. He's somehow, or sometimes was able to retain control and sometimes he just like really lost it and it was hard to bring him back from the brink. And I don't necessarily think that that's going to happen to Damien, but I do wonder if we're going to take some steps back because in the beginning of this run, Damien was very lethal. And then, you know, you saw him grow and really start to understand and accept Bruce and what his beliefs and ideals were and then make the vow that he wouldn't kill. And I think that he's going to accidentally kill some people because when you don't know, you know, what your strength is, it's going to be hard. So it would be good to have. So perhaps there is going to be some sort of tragedy by accident, just like a street thug and, and he hits him too hard and he dies and then Batman goes outside for help. I think that would be good. As for the fight between Cowback and Damien, I really liked it. I love that double page spread which we had seen for several different bad issues on the back in the in the DC what is that 52 news or whatever mm-hmm. you kind of yeah, saw 52. that yeah you saw it out of context you're like oh look at that and it was nice how
how his his little sarcophagus wrappings um, had the hood, which you know harkens back to, to when he he had his hood and everything. And I liked that the cave was used in in unique ways. I mean, obviously the Batmobile lost a wheel, snicker snicker, um, and the penny was used. And then you see Batcow and and some of the people. You know, the the people come back. Um, so I think it does sort of show that perhaps we are getting to that lighter, you know, that lighter piece of the universe now just because Damien's back and, and new things were being used. And, uh, yeah, so I really enjoyed that. Hey, my final question is, because I feel like even though it happened on one page, we need to talk about it. Talia's return, she doesn't know who she is, which I think is a big problem. The Chaos Shard wasn't used to revive her, but what are your thoughts on her return and any hypotheses as to, you know, what part she's going to play in the future, which I feel like we've talked about, but now that she's actually here, I wondered if anything uh, changed for you from previous discussions. You know, I feel like the way she's acting, it's it lo- it seems like it's very similar to the way they showed Jason Todd when he mm. came out of the pit, mm-hmm. where he had no idea what he was doing, he had no idea what was going on, and the fact that it's in Nanda Perbat makes me believe that it's entirely possible that she was put into a pit. Um, I don't know. I don't really have any more thoughts on that. I thought, honestly, the first time I read through it, I didn't even realize it was her. I mean, it looks like her. Yeah. I didn't connect it right away. Um, second read through, then I realized who it was. But to have her back, it'll be interesting because I think, I mean, there's definitely a story there knowing what, how, how she died during that same Batman Incorporated story. So we'll see what happens. Um, I guess my biggest issue with, with this was, and I, and I agree with the, the Lazarus pit thing. I think that's the only thing that makes any real sense there. Um, but I guess my other issue was it kind of started the process of me thinking about this, how much this negated the end of Batman Inc. Um, I mean, Damien's back from the dead. Now it appears that Talia's is back from the dead. Um, and it seems like that was only what? Right about a year ago now, or even less than a year since since Damien was killed off. I think it was probably March of last year. Um, yeah, it's been it's almost been two years. It'll be two years this March. Has it been two years? Um, it just feels like that end of of Batman Inc. here just kind of gets relegated to obscurity because I mean, the story kind of loses its punch with the the two major things is the death of those two characters, both not staying as part of the of the, the narrative going forward. I too had to sort of double check because I was wondering why this naked woman was asking about food and wondered if she was a cannibal um, because of the people. And then I realized, you know, quickly who it was. And I remember back, remember she fell into the chasm and then Rachel, like he leaped in after her uh, to get, to get her. So perhaps she was already revived um, with, with the stuff that he had been doing or not. I don't know. This was his plan all along, though, if you remember. He wanted their minds wiped. He wanted, you know, very much, uh, Tara, whoa, I've, I've, Tara Rasa, thank you, like a blank slate, um, because he, he wanted to basically turn them into little Rachel ghouls. So this is exactly what he wanted. It makes me slightly nervous because I feel like even her maternal instincts are going to be gone. So if she ever goes up against Batman and Robin, it's going to be a really bad thing. And perhaps that's the time. If Ed is correct, perhaps he gets killed by his own mother, which would be a tragedy to be sure. But, uh, yeah, I, it, I, I just thought that was a very interesting moment because I think we're all wondering what about Talia and then you see all that at the end. So 
It was I I liked this issue overall though. I thought it was really good. All right. So Robin Rice's Alpha. I really enjoyed this. Four out of five batteries. Um. I'm going to give it three out of five, and, and the only reason I think that my enjoyment was, again, slightly less was the spoiler issue. Oh, yeah, that was sad. I feel bad for Tomasi. Well, in honor of the Christmas season, I'm going to agree with Dustin and say four out of five. So it's just trying to make up for that song. All what right. do you mean? So, <laughs> Come on, man. That's, Robin the rises. That's the highlight of the year right there. Robin Rice's Alpha <laughs> gets a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman number 37. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Batman number 37. Scott Snyder, writer. Greg Capullo, artist. Uh, this issue opens up with Bruce in the Batcave, uh, but still very much feeling the effects of the paralytic Joker agent that he was given uh, by our friend the Joker in the last issue. Uh, we see that the Joker is spreading a new strain of his toxin throughout the city, that none of the antitoxins that Bruce has used in the past are having any effect at all. The first reported case, we believe, is coming from Gotham Presbyterian Hospital, and Batman begins to make his way there. Uh, Batman calls Jim Gordon en route, and he, so he was waiting by a, a console of some sort uh, for Batman to give him the details of the cure, and when he does, he can get it sent out to everybody in the city using the, uh, the console. Uh, by this point, a large part of Gotham, you can see, has been jokerized. Uh, there's people beating on Jim Gordon's door that are, are clearly in, in, in a Joker state of mind. Um, at this point, Batman kind of comes crashing into the hospital, and Gordon tells him that some of the people believe that the hospital is haunted, not a surprise for something in Gotham. Uh, the staff and the patients of the hospital all appear to be, uh, be Jokerized as well. Um, Gordon is then showing doing some research on his laptop about a fire that was started in the hospital in the, in the 1910s, where the survivors of, of the fire say they saw the devil walking the halls. As he begins to look through the pictures from the, from the time, the newspaper clippings from the time, he sees the face of the Joker in the background of the pictures from 1910. Uh, the next tragedy was in 1946, where multiple people died when medicine was exchanged for rat poison. Mm-hmm. Scored reviews the evidence here. We see, once again, the Joker in the background of the pictures kind of looming around the scene. As Jim starts to put the mystery together, the Joker shows up at his house, uh, knocks him semi-unconscious with, the, uh, with one of the old boxing glove tricks. Uh, back at the hospital, we see that Batman is confronted by a Jokerized version of Joe Chill with an elaborate setup. And Duke, who we last saw as a future Robin, uh, and a recreation of the death of Bruce's parents with um, with Duke's parents about to be murdered uh, as well. Um, the Joker attacks Gordon, and he is forced to shoot him dead on the spot. And he shoots and kills the Joker. Uh, Batman is able to save Duke, but he has to kind of get him out of the hospital and rescue because his parents have already turned and they're now jokerized uh we didn't see joker rise from the quote-unquote dead overpower jim and take the phone and as batman escapes the hospital with duke he asks over the phone if jim's still there and the joker responds hello bruce to be continued uh and then the backup does continue here with uh written by james Tenney the fourth and art by john mccray and it's just more of, of this doctor who's escaped arkham um now she's trying to call her friend eric border who we all now know is the Joker, uh, for help. And we'll be getting more of that back up in the rest of Endgame. So the first first question here, and this is an interesting one, um, and it may seem like it's uh, flippant, or, but I'm, I'm totally serious. Is this the beginning of a major change in the Joker's character? Is this, is this going to be Snyder's New 52 version? The Joker has been here throughout history. Uh, has he really been pulling the strings for 100 years, or is this the Joker just playing one of his games? Well, I think 
well, there's two different things or two different answers I want to give to this. The first one is the pictures of of Joker in all of those in the hospital and the you know the arm and the face and that stuff. Gordon does say that he believes that Joker was he doctored those photos in order to you know mess with Gordon. That's what he says. Um, to me, makes perfect sense. I wouldn't put it past the Joker, but I guess the other side of this is. It seems to me that they are, they're taking Joker, Snyder is taking Joker and he's basically doing something else. Like, okay, we, we remember very clearly when we had the death of the family, mm-hmm. uh, Snyder went on record and said multiple times that his version of Joker is more of a Moradi character towards Sherlock Holmes, sim- you know, with Joker and Batman. And that's the relationship they have. Um, but the problem is that, I guess because we don't know the origin of the Joker, and I don't want people sitting there saying, well, you don't need to know the origin of the Joker. (laughs) If we go off of what the only real origin we've ever really seen, which is, you know, he was a comedian, he was involved with the Red Hood gang, and he got, you know, transformed into this guy, and he used to be a comedian. You know, if we go off of what we have seen in the past, I can't comprehend how the Joker, I mean, we talked about this when we were reviewing Death of the Family how Joker plans this stuff to the point that he does. I mean, he's planning stuff to rival stuff that Riddler is planning. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I feel like Joker is not supposed to be nearly as smart as the Riddler. But for some reason, he's always portrayed like that when Snyder writes him. So I feel like, you know, the fact that he's able to doctor photos, the fact that he's able to make sure that Batman goes to a specific hospital to relive his parents' death. And, oh, wait, the glaring thing in the room, or the big elephant in the room is now Joker knows exactly who Batman is. I mean, and that can be obviously explained with uh, Death of the Family. I get that. But, like, in my mind, it just feels like the Joker should never know the identity of Batman. I just don't feel like that's a necessity. Because the Joker, of all people, why, he would he would exploit that. And here we see him exploiting it, but I feel like he would exploit it like perfect example. Okay. We see in the dark Knight the movie by Chris Nolan, we see Heath Ledger's Joker sit there and say, Batman needs to remove his mask and tell everybody who he is, turn himself in, blah, blah, blah. I could see that Joker doing the same thing in here, but if he knows the identity, he would just constantly go after people that mean something to Bruce. And in, in, here we have seen him go after the family, but it was for his own personal interest. He was doing it because he felt like the only person that Batman was ever meant to be was himself or with was himself. Um, he didn't need a bat family because he had the Joker and that's all he ever needed, which, okay, I guess that makes sense. But here he is back and now he's just decided that he's going to punish Bruce because he did it, you know, he pushed him off a cliff. I, I mean, I guess there's a disconnect in my mind uh, as to who this Joker is because we're seeing the villains that Snyder writes written to a much higher standard than we've seen pre-New 52 when people have dealt with these characters like the Riddler, like the Joker, you know, the introduction of the Court of Olives. These are characters or groups of characters that are written to a much higher standard. So I find it difficult to sit here and compare them to what we have known from the entire history of the character pre new 52. Yes. We have to suspend belief that, you know, this is a different version, but it honestly feels like Joker has too much capabilities. I don't know how you guys feel about that. 
I first want to say that I, I disagree with Dustin with the uh, knowing his his identity. I almost feel like, and and audience members may write in and say that I'm crazy, but I almost feel like he doesn't care necessarily who he is under the mask like he knows he's bruce now but i don't know if he's the type of person like hugo strange like perhaps two-faced would to exploit that i feel like he only cares about batman and zeroes in very much like some people you know if i'm to make my token reference to spider-man kind of like black cat was only in love with spider-man and didn't really want to know like Peter Parker's under there, doesn't really want to know that. So I almost feel like his focus and his, you know, desire is always for Batman. And while he may know Bruce, that may not, he, he may not care that much about it. I mean, that's my, that's my thought about the Joker. I think this is a very different Joker because I, I almost think back because I got some scary killing joke vibes, which it made me feel uncomfortable. But when he pops into the commissioners and I felt like Killing Joke was almost a very sporadic decision. Like, I'm just going to, this is what I'm going to do right now. And to a certain extent, some things were planned. Like, the carnival obviously had to be planned and, and set up and everything. But this is planned in such detail. And just the fact that it's it's like a slow burn and and almost like American style, that TV show where he's just like super... I mean, he's a spy and undercover. How How is this Joker, who seems to have impulse control issues that, that we normally read about, this guy's able to keep it under wraps and, and arouse no suspicion for this amount of time? Uh, that's very shocking. So I, I do think that it is a different Joker. And perhaps, you know, this is a new era. And if Snyder wants to, to recreate him in this way, um, I guess more power to him. But I, I think there is a bit of an issue with seeing Joker and or seeing Joker with characteristics of Riddler. I, I certainly uh, get that and feel um, what Dustin had said about that because Riddler is the type of person who would think his plan through to this extent and, and to be someone to shock Batman in this manner. So yeah, it is a very different Joker, I think, than what people have read pre-New 52. I think too that, and I think one of the things that we're not done with dealing with within this story. And I think that Dustin, you'll ultimately be bared out as being right. But although Jim wants to believe there's doctored photos, I don't think he has any real evidence yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that if you, if you look at the backup and, and the backup is all about these kind of nutty criminals who have, have had the Joker there for a hundred years or so, mm -hmm. you know, has been active for 30 years. I think that the big question that by the end of Endgame that we're going to have to ask ourselves, and I think this is where you can see a correlation of death of the family, is in death of the family, the question we kept having to ask ourselves is, does the Joker know who Batman is, right? And I think the big question we're going to ask, we're going to have to ask ourselves here by the time we get to the end of the story is, was the Joker there all along? I think that that's, I think that's, the, I think these stories are very similar from 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 Snyder, which is he's at, he's asking a big question about about the Joker. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I mean, yeah, the logical thing for us to say is, of course, the Joker's making it up. He's playing a game. He's making it look like he's been around for 200 years. He's the devil, blah, 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 blah. Right? Mm -hmm. But this is, this is a massive retelling of the Joker. Like, like Dustin said, this is, this is like if you took the best points of the Scarecrow with the ability to make this super toxin and the, the Riddler's intelligence yes. and the Joker's insanity. I mean, doesn't this seem like an all-star villain in a way? Yeah. Like, and I don't even mean that as, um, to be negative, I mean, if, if, if they said, Scott, you can redo the Joker, do him however you want to, 
this is a different take. And, and in some levels, although it is totally different, this is a more of a threat. Like this type of intelligent, maniacal Joker is more of a threat. And I could almost see – I'm not for sure this will happen, but I could almost see where they could – Scott Snyder could rewrite the whole thing where the reason we don't know the origin of the Joker is because he's been around forever in different mm-hmm. forms. Um, not for sure, but if it happened, I wouldn't be totally – totally shocked it's almost like making him into an urban myth now yes and and i almost when i was reading that i didn't think like doctored at all i was just like oh my gosh 1910 you know i thought what an interesting and unique way to to that he's perhaps been around a lot and it would in a certain way answer the question of why his face looks completely fine after having it ripped off i mean what if there are many people that take on this joker mantle uh but but i think yeah it's very much an urban myth now and and maybe that's what the backups are doing but it's very unique and and i'm looking forward to seeing how this how snyder answers these questions well, and I think, too, that it was kind of funny. I know you already kind of touched on this, uh, Dustin, but kind of like to hear Stella and a little bit more of your opinion on it, which is we get in this episode, in this issue, and I don't think there's any way to deny this unless you're just trying to be obtuse, right? The, the Joker knows who Batman is, yeah. right? I mean, I, I don't think it's like there's – in the past, it's always been, well, maybe he does, but this is – I mean, he, besides the fact he calls him Bruce, he has the whole recreation there for the kid, right? Um do you do you think that this is going to have lasting ramifications in continuity that the Joker now knows? I mean, I think that reality is it probably should because, like you said, if the Joker actually knows, he would just kill everybody associated with people, right. Wayne Enterprises. But do you think that in in terms of storytelling that this kind of seminal moment, this really should be a huge moment in Batman comics, the definitive answer of, of does the Joker know who Batman is? Dustin and Stella, we've all followed Batman for a long time. That's a big deal, mm-hmm. right? Like. Do you think that this is handled with enough flair almost? And if so, how do you think this will affect the comic book going forward? It honestly feels like during the death of the family, the whole point of whether the whole point of the story was to decide whether or not Bruce or whether or not Joker knew the identity of Batman. That was basically the main objective of the story. You know, the Joker card was there. Did he really get into the Batcave? Did he really know who he was? And honestly, that story in some ways didn't really answer the question. I mean, he obviously he knew who Alfred was because he doused Alfred and he was in the Batcave, but he never really got the answer of whether he was in the Batcave in the first place. Did he really know? We never found that out. And that was like the whole reason why everybody was so ticked off at at Bruce was because it was a possibility that Joker knew who they all were, but didn't do anything about it. Here we have, a similar situation where the Joker now definitively knows, but it's like, where, how do we get to this point? And I guess that's my biggest problem with it. It's, it's, you know, it just comes down to, you know, do I have a problem with the Joker knowing the identity? Not necessarily because if this is a different take on the character, I guess it's, it works, but I feel like there should have been a more, you know, Hey, I know you're, I mean, like when the scene pops up, in this issue of Joker, uh, of that, you know, trippy scene with Duke Thomas and his parents reenacting the sequence of Bruce's parents getting killed. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, wait a second, why would Joker have done this? And it took me a second to realize, okay, well, Joker obviously has to know who he is. And at the end, it kind of is like Joker picks up the phone. He's like, hello, Bruce. Like, Hey, guess what? I'm revealing to you that I know who you are for the first time. Even though, you know, I knew about, you know, I doused 
uh, Alfred in Death of the Family, and I, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out who Alfred works for. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I think it'll be a big deal where Joker is concerned. I still feel like Joker only cares about Batman and not Bruce Wayne. And so I think in his role, in his interactions with, with Batman, he may use it, but I don't think he's the type of person. I don't know. I, I want to keep referencing Spider-Man, but I'll, I'll keep from that. <laughs> but I feel like he's, it's one of those like personal secrets, private secrets. We saw kind of this love relationship that he had with, with Batman in death of the family. And I think that knowing his secret is something he wants to keep for himself. And I don't think he would telecast it or, or I, I, I just think it's going to be used in a different way than we would expect other villains to, to use this, this thing. So, you know, I think in the future, whenever we see Joker, Batman's going to have to be extra cautious, but I think in terms of, of other, um, other characters and, and just the history moving forward. I don't know if it's going to change it as much. Uh, and the only thing I would add is I have a, a question, which is, is Bruce going to immediately, whenever this dies down in the slightest bit, um, and he gets a chance to get his feet underneath him, is he going to call the other members of the Bat family and tell them the Joker does know? Because that was worth his whole riff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was his whole riff of death of the family came in is that, he, they thought that he may have possibly thought that the Joker knew, but if he definitively knows that the Joker knows, and he doesn't tell, well, everybody. then we're just we're just resetting, you know, every all the story points back to a year. That's right. basically what will happen, you know. If he doesn't say anything right away and doesn't tell everybody about it, then it will basically be everybody will distrust him yet again. Mm-hmm. Everything that we've seen that they have healed does not matter. Like I don't know, honestly. And I hate to say this because I really enjoy Scott Snyder's writing, but I really feel like Scott Snyder has this odd desire to not have anybody work with Batman. It's like you look at all of the stuff, Court of Owls, Death of the Family, Zero Year, and here we are in Endgame. And outside of like Alfred and Julia Pennyworth and Commissioner Gordon, he does not really want he does not have him really work with anybody unless it's to set something up that's going to be bad for the person who's teaming up with them. Yeah. And, and I still think that if the shoe drops and I don't see how we avoid this, by the way, when the shoe drops that Nightwing's not dead, I don't see how this doesn't all, like you said, Dustin automatically reset anyway. Yeah. Right. Like, isn't that going to be the biggest slap in the face? Like, you told us he was dead, man. Like, I mean, seriously, like I don't see how there's any way out of this. And, and, and I agree with you. I, I think that for whatever reason, and you, everyone knows that I, I really enjoy Snyder's writing, but for whatever reason, he wants these toys to be played with without the rest of the family around. Yeah. And I, I, I don't understand it, but I, you know, you know, I take that back. I do understand it to a point because he's trying to tell a Batman story, not a bat family story. And that's fine. But the problem is the Batman universe is such a large thing. The Batman title should be focusing on the Batman universe, not just Batman as a singular character dealing with singular problems. I mean, yes. And I think that that's what they're trying to do with eternal. Damien wasn't um, even appearing in the book before well, he even got killed. And that was the other problem. That's the other thing too, that I, I, I know we probably don't have time for a full on discussion, but where is everybody? Yeah. Like this is supposed to be after Endgame. Where's Where's Tim? Where's Harper? Where's Bluebird? Bluebell? Whatever, mm. right? Like, where is everybody? Um, 
I mean, the Joker is, is typically been viewed, even in Death of the Family, and we do acknowledge that Snyder doesn't like to play with a lot of characters, but even in Death of the Family, we had Batgirl, even Red Hood, everyone shows up, right? Yeah. With Joker's back, the Gotham's over flooded with, with Jokerized people. Where is everybody? Yeah. It's just, it, it's a question that I'm hoping we get an answer to because right now I can't seem to have a good reason why everyone is gone. Part of me thinks it's just Snyder kind of doing his own thing. And I mean, I feel like book continuities right now aren't really aligning because we know that this is slightly in the future to where we are and Eternal just started matching up with Arkham. And I think slowly pieces are getting together, but I think he's got his own plan. He's saying, this is what I'm doing. And because other characters aren't necessarily fitting in with that timeline, he's sort of excluding them. Um, so that's my thought on that. To get back to, I don't like it being, I mean, I've said the words, uh, circle composition so many times or ring composition on this show that I'm sure people take a shot every time I say it. Uh, I don't like it in this case where he's, he's made a mistake. The family has broken down. And then I think we had such a wonderful moment in, uh, Batman and Robin where he apologized and, you know, they all came together and they united for an especially powerful reason. And I think it would be terrible to go back to that. And I understand that Batman is a, he's a solo kind of guy. I mean, he was, it always seemed like he was the last person to really want to join Justice League. Um, because it's just not his thing. He doesn't like to be a member. He's, he's like Spider-Man in that way, Dustin. Um, but I, but I think what makes him so special is the way he plays off of people and the way that, um, he shows his love towards his, his bat family and the way that they, you know, team up with them. And that's not to say we need a team up book. Cause I think we have that in Batman and Robin and, and he's appeared in other places, but I don't think that these relationships should be dissolved all the time. And that's been my one constant criticism of new 52 is that when it started the batman family just did not exist and i feel like to a certain extent perhaps with the exception of that batman and robin that really there is no batman family i mean they they kind of come together somewhat but they just don't have that relationship and and just that unique quality that I think we saw in pre-New 52. And and I hope that we don't continue that cycle. If you don't want to have all of them in your book, that's fine. But don't continue to to split them apart and, and have these divisive stories. So I do really hope he has learned from this mistake and that after Endgame, or perhaps since there are tie-ins, who knows if these tie-ins, they'll be, he'll pop on and say just, hey, guess what? Heads up, Joker knows who I am. And maybe that'll make those tie-ins worthwhile. But he needs to learn from his mistakes, and I hope that Snyder learns uh, from them as well. All right, so Batman number 37, I'm going to give three out of five bed rings. Uh, I'm going to give four out of five. I am going to give a four out of five as well. All right, so Batman number 37 gets a total of four out of five bad rings. Let's move into our next book, The Batman Annual. Hello, kiddies. Meet the Joker. Batman Annual number three, writer James Tenning the Fourth, Art Roge Antonio. Um, this annual opens up in Arkham Manor. We see Thomas Blackcrow in a cell saying that he does not have any friends. We then flash back to five years ago. Um, we see Joker and Harley working on one of their convoluted plots involving a man in a monkey suit. Um, we then cut to a boardroom, and we see this time it's Tommy. He's not incarcerated for insanity at this point, and he's a writer at a newspaper, assuming the Gotham Gazette. Um, 
he's been talking to his coworkers and just doesn't understand what is so scary about this Joker guy. He's been a war con correspondent and says he's seen real evil. Uh, Tommy decides that he's going to write a piece and give the world a new perspective on the Joker. Uh, following up on a tip, he arrives at Granny's Gags and Gifts, where the Joker, Harley, and some henchmen are having a meeting. One of the henchmen displeases the Joker, who kills him. Um, Tommy, who is watching all this from the shadows, starts to laugh, which exposes his hiding spot. Uh, Harley grabs him and brings him to the Joker and asks him what he thought was so funny. Uh, Thomas tells him thinks it's funny that the Joker does not have any friends, that he thinks that everyone's kind of beneath him. Um, before the Joker can give the order to have him kill, Batman and Robin show up and they save him. Um, and then one year later, we see Thomas drinking in a bar with a friend who is warning him that the Joker has escaped from Arkham and that they found a copy of his editorial piece about the Joker that he wrote after the incident in the Joker's cell. Uh, Tommy blows, blows it off. Uh, and when he gets home that night, he finds that the Joker's there and has killed his roommate in a fairly gruesome way. Uh, the Joker tells him that he knows all about him and that they are going to be the best of friends from now on because he was right. The Joker doesn't have a friend. He wants Tommy to be his friend. Um, he warns him also to stay away from the Diamond District that night before he leaves. Uh, six months later, and we see that Tommy's changed his name and is trying to live a new life. Uh, he hears that the Joker has escaped again and grabs a knife and begins to go through some like extreme paranoia in his home. He finally falls asleep and wakes up to the words, I miss you, wrote in blood on the ground. Uh, another year later, and we hear that the Joker has escaped again. Uh, Tommy is using a new name now and is married. Uh, he rushes home and finds the Joker dancing uh, with his unwilling wife. Uh, Joker assures him that he's not going to kill his best friend's wife and sits down and makes him look through pictures of from his latest killing spree. Pretty gruesome. Um, now it's only a few months away from the beginning of the book, the time frame from the beginning of the book. Uh, and Tommy is calling the GCPD every day to make sure the Joker's face is still there. So this is sometime before death of the family. Um, his wife has left him, although the Joker um, escaped some time ago. He's still not bothered to look Tommy up yet. And Tommy's just basically gone super paranoid crazy that the Joker's going to show up. And, of course, the Joker does show up and uh, show, shows him that the mask that he's making for the finale of Death of the Family when, the, when they're around the table. Mm -hmm. um, Tommy tries to kill him with a gun that the Joker leaves laying around. But, of course, it turns out to be a water pistol. Um, and the Joker leaves. And by the time Bullock shows up and Tommy's called the police, He's in a total state of paranoia and psychosis. Um, all evidence that the Joker was there is gone, and they check him in for a psych evaluation. Uh, then we're back to the current timeline in Arkham Manor, and we see his friend Warren, who he was drinking with in the bar, uh, trying to convince him to check himself out of Arkham because he's there voluntarily. And Tommy says he's, for the first time in a long time, he has a new real friend there, and his friend's name is Eric Border. Really? Who do we now all know is the Joker? Um... I, there's only one real question that has real merit for this issue, to be honest with you. Although it's long, and I got a secondary follow-up. But the real question is, does Joker think of Tommy, in his own demented mind, does Joker think of Tommy as a friend or just another toy he's screwing around with? Uh, simple answer is just a toy. Uh, I mean, the biggest thing is, it just comes across as this is just a generic story of Joker messing with somebody just because the Joker didn't like what something they did. That's all I'm going to say. I would, my, my gut instinct would say toy. However, I feel like Joker has a short attention span to a certain extent. I mean, I feel like his thugs don't last very long, to be honest. I mean, that one guy said, I've been with you for two months and you'd expect like two years, but not really. So to see him hold on to this guy for five years, I feel like perhaps in his own sick way, 
he actually does think of him as as a strange friend. My thought was it, it kind of along the lines of Stella's, which is that the Joker was going to keep this guy around for five years just to screw with him. Either A, he actually thinks he's his friend, or that editorial piece he wrote, the Joker really, really hated. <laughs> because, I mean, he is putting some serious work into screwing with this guy. Um, but I think at the end of the day, he's, I don't think the Joker is capable of um, friendship as we know it. Um, so maybe in his own mind, he is. And then the other point, this kind of balances the Batman 37 we just had, but I had this feeling while reading this, well, this, this uh, to me appeared like, Dustin, you kind of hit on the head, a generic pre new 52 joker story to me doesn't this joker seem a lot more simpler than the joker we're being presented with in the batman main title oh uh, yeah yeah that's uh part of the reason i really despised this annual was because it didn't come across as this is the same joker it just goes back to the fact that it just feels like snyder is writing a different set of characters than everybody else and i know that tinian and snyder work together all the time they're working on eternal together Tinian's writing the backups in the back of Batman, and you know they've done tons of other things together. But it honestly feels like Snyder is telling his own story, and everybody else is just along for the ride. But they're not doing the same thing, or they're not telling the same. They're, they're not using the same character. They're using the same character by name, but when it comes to the personality, they're all in a different world. And that's what the same way I felt when we read the uh, Death of the Family tie-ins. All the other one, all the other titles felt like it was a Joker story that was just somehow connected to Snyder's main story, but it was still a different Joker than what Snyder was, was writing. And that's my problem. Like, I don't understand how this was supposed to tie in. I mean, I understand, like, I did like the, the slight callback to the, they referenced Warren from the Gotham Gazette, who we've seen in Eternal writes the crime, uh, stuff for the paper. I, I thought that was kind of a neat little thing just to throw in, but like, I don't understand what the point, like what was the necessity of this? Like, why did you have to have a Batman annual so that you could tell this just random story? What's the point? Um, I actually, I don't like the Joker, but I, um, I, that's a very uh, definitive <laughs> statement. I just go. want to say I don't like him because of Killing Joke. It, it it really emotionally affected me. But I actually loved this annual, to be honest. Uh, I under I, I I loved it. I don't know. I, I will give it a very high grade. Wow. Two gentlemen wow. can be against me. <laughs> that's, why I, that's why I started off with my heavy statement of not liking the it Joker. It just got but real in here. Yeah, it did. I know. Is this my last episode? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had like a hundred dollar bill for every time. You, <laughs> you wouldn't rich. have to worry about your You're comic rich. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, I get what Dustin's saying. Totally. However, I feel like because it, this is just Joker in a different situation, he's with a different, he's not with Batman. So he's going to act differently, but you see the threads of all the other stories weaving their way through. So I still saw the Joker that we've been dealing with for death of the family and all of this. I, I think that it's, I mean, it's a Joker focused issue. So it, it's a different annual. I guess you could say, I don't know. I don't have my, my similar gripe that I normally make of why do we have this? What was the point of this? Because 
I saw this character, and boy, he should not have snickered, because that certainly led to years of torment. But you see Joker, and just the planning that he went, I mean, the face was there, and the death of the fan, and then, you know, him being that doctor. I think you see Joker from a different perspective, and I thought that that was pretty interesting to see this guy. So, I... I don't know. I, I don't share the same grievances as you do because I, I just feel like, no, he wouldn't see that side of Joker that we've seen because Batman's not involved. And I think that Joker is a completely different person if Batman is out of the equation. So, I, will, I, will, I, I, I want to just point out this one last thing. Okay, The one thing, and this is, like I said, I don't like this annual, but I will say this. Tinian does a, Tinian as a writer does a really good job of weaving a lot of different story elements together. You know, we see it in, in Eternal, even though Scott Snyder's name's the top writer up there. I feel like Tinian's the one who's connecting all this stuff, especially when we see an issue like this, where we see hints of a character that's appearing in Batman Eternal. We see, you know, references of the Joker face that was from, you know, way back in Detective Comics, getting the New 52. Tinian does a great job of weaving a lot of this different stuff together. He's really good at that. Doesn't mean I like the issue, but he's really good at that. Um, I kind of fall on Dustin's side of the argument here. Give me a um, break. It, well, here's why. It is, no, it is very tough. <laughs> I, uh, it is very tough for me to put the Joker we see in Death of the Family and what we see in Endgame with the same Joker who's screwing around and having fun with guys in monkey suits and, and with Harley Quinn at the beginning of this issue. You know? I mean, that to me seems like a, I, I, I'm starting to feel, and I don't even have an issue with this, by the way. I just wish it was consistent. But I'm really starting to feel that, and I, and I actually, let me, let me, let me clarify my stance. It's not only that I do not have an issue with it, I actually very much like it. That the new Joker is just a completely different character than the guy that was represented pre-New 52. And I'm okay with that, because the whole point in the New 52 was allowing changes in scope and character. Right? So, if they want to go out on a limb and do it, I'm totally cool with them doing it. And I, and I think that the idea of a true Moriarty-type character for Batman is something that I'm totally okay with. But you can't keep going and back and writing him like this. And then you remember there was the um, the Joker Villains Month issue uh, from a year and a half, whatever it was two years ago now, where he's got a pet gorilla or whatever. Yep. Yep. You know, like, like you, you, you can't keep jumping back and forth. If Snyder's Joker is the way you want to go, and by the way, I'm totally cool with that. I think that that is totally fine to change the character and go with this new reiteration of him. Even if you end up with him having you know been around for 150 years, I'm totally cool with him trying a new direction. I really am. But it has to be consistent. And I don't see these as consistent. Yes, this Joker is planning, but some of the scenes come off as not as this character we currently see in the, in, in the book. Alright, so Batman Annual number three. I'm giving two and a half. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give it three because I think that Tinian did do a good job you know, keeping all these plates in the air. And as I said, <laughs> I will five get five. <laughs> I know. No, I will give it a five out of five. I also really love the art. I, I thought that it was very clean and, yes. and I enjoyed it. Um, so I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of five. Take that, Dustin. All right. And over on the websites, Ryan gave the issue three and a half. So I'm, so that's going to give Batman annual number three, a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal. 
Bounty Eternal number 37. Script by Tim Seeley. Art by Andrea Mutati. Muti. Muti. I don't know. Some, that guy. Yeah. Or a girl. Andrea. I don't know. All right. The issue starts off with Catwoman at an Egyptian nightclub in Gotham City. She's, you know, basically uh, trying to figure out exactly what she's going to do in the future. She's realizing that she has to, you know, supersize her status because she can't be the head of a crime family and be living in a crappy pillow as she is a peasant. Uh, somebody tries to attack her uh, with a flaming sword and she knocks him out the window and security tries to get them. Meanwhile, at the apartment of Batwing, his, his uh, roommate Rory uh, goes into the bathroom and happens to see some sort of grandma spirit talking about Amadeus and shows that there's a, someone's face, knitted into a quilt. Uh, we then see that he's, you know, completely stunned by this. Uh, Batwing tries to chalk this up as, well, you ate some bad Mexican food last night. Uh, meanwhile, Batman is down at the docks trying to figure out where all of the villains who escaped Arkham are, are at. He comes across Killer Croc. Killer Croc definitively says, there's no way that they came through here. I do not want them anywhere near my area. Uh, Batman ends up leaving and Catwoman appears to talk to Killer Croc and says, I've got an idea and you can get some great revenge. Meanwhile, at a, a what appears to be at an abandoned Greek restaurant somewhere in Gotham City, we see Bane, Mr. Freeze, Clayface, Scarecrow, Joker's daughter, and Poison Ivy. Uh, obviously, these are all the villains that Batman was looking for that had escaped. And we see that uh, they are talking about how they are going to get out of Gotham. Um, basically Scarecrow declares that he's going to be the leader amongst them. He's telling everybody that, uh, they all need to side with him. Bane says he has no desire to do anything with these people. Um, he only ends up deciding to side with them when, when, uh, Scarecrow offers to enhance his venom because he was previously experimenting with it. Uh, we then see the entire time there's a cat with a camera who's been watching the entire situ- the entire, the entire conversation between these villains. Meanwhile, at, uh, a rush, uh, diner near police headquarters, we see Harvey Bullock and Maggie Sawyer talking about how everything got to be this crazy situation that they are in right now. Um, Jason Bard approaches them and says, listen, I know I've been dragged through the mud. But I've looked everywhere. You two are two of the only honest cops left in Gotham, and I need your help. Uh, neither one of them say they're going to help, and they leave. Uh, meanwhile, at the restaurant, we see all the villains attempting to sleep. The cat is still using, you know, spying on them. Uh, Bane is beating up some random meat in the back meat locker, I guess, when Poison Ivy approaches him and says, uh, you're going to work with me. And, uh, Bane says, uh, I don't, I don't think so. That's not going to happen. She says, well, the thing is, I'm actually a much better chemist than Scarecrow would ever be. So if you go with me, I will be able to help you. Uh, we see Catwoman who has been watching all, again, all of this through her, what she calls the kitty cams. Um, and we then cut to the Batcave where Julia Pennyworth is talking to Batman. Batman says it's time to do some, uh, inventory on what they have left. Um, when he sees the bat signal up in the sky, when he approaches the, when he, when he goes to where the bat signal is coming from, it turns out it's, it's 
Catwoman there. Well, I guess it's Selena Kyle in what appears to be her underwear. And she's basically telling Batman, listen, I'm, you know, heading the crime families up, but that doesn't mean things have to change between us. You know, we can still have fun and, you know, it's better for me to be running the families because I can control what's going on. It can be a good thing. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Julia Pennyworth is pretty, she doesn't want to hear Catwoman or Selena to Kyle talk to Batman at all. It's almost showing signs of jealousy. Uh, meanwhile, we see Batwing, who has now put on his suit. His uh, roommate is now being surrounded by a number of ghosts or demons or whatever from Arkham Asylum. And he says, I need some help. I need every, I need, I need to know everything Batman has ever learned about dealing with the haunting because they're everywhere. Next up, Batman unarmed. Does his roommate know that he's Batwing? I was not aware of that, but, but I find it slightly convenient how his roommate's name is Rory. And there's a character named Rory Reagan who is called the Ragman. And that same character deals with spirits and has spirits intertwined into a quilt or, you know, into his rags, Uh similar to what the way they showed that, that That the, the woman knitting the thing. And I was like, huh, Roy Reagan also happens to have red hair similar to his roommate. So I'm wondering if this is like his origin, which would be slightly odd because Ragman Roy Reagan is actually already a character in the pages of Batwoman, but. But that book is outside of everything else that's happening. So it's I don't, outside I don't, the planet right now. It's yeah. happening in space. Yeah. Okay. How weird is that? Maybe I mean, he'll sorry. pop up in Gotham by midnight. So Batman Eternal number 37. Just a couple of real quick things. We see Selena Kyle building her status as this, you know, head of the crime family. But the reason we, and it's, it's more revealed in the next issue, but I want to bring it up here just because I want to talk about Selena Kyle and I want to talk about it for both issues. We see in the next issue that she kind of orchestrates this entire, you know, taking down of the escaped villains from Arkham as like show of good faith of what she can do you know, to the other heads of the crime families. And in some ways, I think it's really interesting. But the thing I want to specifically talk about in this issue is that weird rooftop meeting between her and Batman. A couple of weird questions, just real series of questions. One, do you believe that she was in her underwear on a rooftop? Two, was she trying to seduce Batman? And three, do you think that what she's saying would actually work, you know, with them continuing, you know, Batman and her continuing to have some sort of relationship, even though she is the head of a crime family. Yes, I think she was in her underwear because that's what was pictured. Yes, I do believe she was trying to seduce him because she's been trying to do that for the best part of 75 years. <laughs> and I mean, it's true. And uh, no, obviously, like if she's going to be the active head of a crime family of the crime family in Gotham, uh, then, of course, that this would not just it's not going to um, now, it wouldn't stop her from trying, but I just don't think. Yes, she was in her underwear. I actually feel like it's just the author's way of making, well, slash artist, but the author was probably the one who scripted it in there, of making her sexy. Because I feel like right now she knows better. Um, and I feel like she's still sort of resentful of him and, you know, he turning his back on her. So I feel like. I don't know. Even though she says, I guess I don't spend that much time staring at your chest and she's looking down, who knows. But I, I don't know if she went out there in her underwear just to, to do that. I think that's just people interpreting Bat, uh, 
Catwoman as that character. And uh, I don't know if she's naive to think that there's like a partnership that could be going, but I think what we saw in Believeless Futures and to a certain extent, I think she operates within a certain set of laws and she thinks that how she's operating will be acceptable to Batman and the way that she operates is uh, so that she flies under the radar of Batman. So I think to a certain extent, she tries to make it seem like it could be a partnership so that she can maybe gain his trust, which I think is why she says, you know, I've got this present for you. That way she's under the radar. She's got her little thing going and then only if necessary do they pop out because she really tries to I they try at least Future's End made it seem like trying to clean up the streets and only doing certain things um you know stealing and things like that and, and not going too out of bounds because they want to stay away from Batman so I it's I guess you can't really call it a partnership but I, I think she does have sort of this code that she's going to start operating by and maybe she'll try to trick Batman I also believe that she was in her underwear and she was trying to seduce him but I feel like it was the wrong time frame for that to occur because we've already seen kind of the breakup between the two characters. And if this is supposed to be that weird, you know, shift where she's basically saying, you know, you know, I can't be with you. I mean, we've seen, I, I go back to that Batman 28 uh, issue where she is talking about, you know, she tried to side with Batman. Batman didn't want to have it. And I'm wondering if this is it. He's, she's basically approaching him as, not the head of a crime family who's trying to make the city better, but as a lover who is going to just, you know, call him and just be there in her underwear. Mm -hmm. I find it, if this is the meeting, and I don't know that it is, I'm just saying, if this is their final meeting before that situation happens, that is a very awkward way to set it all up. Sorry, I showed up in my underwear and you told me no. So I don't like you anymore. Find it slightly weird. I feel like they, they already. I don't know if I would consider them lovers at this point. I feel like there no. Was I know a, okay. they already did. Yeah, oh, come on. Yeah, Catwoman number one. They did it with the costumes on. Remember? Oh, yeah. But that's but since then, there's been there there was something not that long ago where basically uh, Batman couldn't right you know, couldn't help Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Catwoman was like, well, if that's the case, then I got to do this on my own. And that was that. So yeah. then why do we come back to this position if we're going to only get back to that in the – anyway. The other thing I want to talk about is uh, the, the group of villains. Do you feel like the this group of villains would ever work together? And I also have to wonder how Joker's daughter just randomly gets thrown into this mix. She wasn't <laughs> actually an inmate in Arkham. She was you know, in the, you know, the caverns or whatever. She somehow got out along with all of these other villains – Still trying to understand how Bane got from being sprayed by Alfred when Alfred approached that uh, that cachet to somehow being completely free. There's the, the the weird group of villains just comes across as they weren't thinking; they just wanted to pull a bunch of villains in. And I think Freeze was also captured because I remember yeah, when Arkham collapsed that he was the one person that we see Batman actually like physically apprehend. I think it's, I think it is, it's a ragtag bunch. I don't think it makes sense. Uh, I like Ivy, but with the stuff that happened to, between Ivy and Clayface, I don't think Clayface would be able to stand the sight of her because at the end of that detective comics run, he knew what was going on and that he was controlled by her and he was so upset. So I, I think that is so bizarre. And I totally thought about the Alfred Bain situation and freeze. So I think that was maybe not doing legwork 
and just, hey, this is a cool group of people. Let's do Joker's Daughter. Oh, God. I can't <laughs> do Joker's Daughter anymore. I, I swear, it's the only character I, I see her on page, and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I mean, it's just, I don't know why these people are together at all. I have no idea. And I think this is one of those things where you, there's a problem you have with team-up books, uh, you know, where you want to throw everything but the kitchen sink in. Right, mm-hmm. like Poison Ivy's a credible threat. She doesn't need ten people with her. Bane doesn't need six people along for the ride to make him interesting or a threat. Right? Um, I would have been far more interested if this was the linear progression of Batman tracking down Ivy or Scarecrow or, or any one of these people on their own. Especially since some of these people, like you said with Mister Freeze, have actually already been apprehended, and Joker's daughter is not a threat to anything except sanity. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't. I didn't. I don't. I just assume this is. I, I just assume this was something they were doing because they were trying to tie up a lot of loose ends, or they just wanted to do this. But this seems like um, a miscalculation. And a rehash of Arkham War. Yeah, and yes. like, and yes. in fact, literally, like, there's isn't there a couple editors notes like, yes. oh, hey. yeah, it's, like, I think it's in the next <laughs> issue, but yeah, yes. like, come on, man, yeah, this is. I don't know. And here's my problem with this: not that when you have a limited account, when you have so many issues, when you're trying to get to the end of the story, and we have. So remember, we've got this Harper Rose supposed to be in costume here coming up, and yep. and you know we got the Riddler. Is there another bad guy? We, whatever happened to the Clue Master? Where's Stephanie Brown at? Like when you have all this, that, well, what's going on with Batwing? I mean, when you have all this really interesting stuff that I want to know what's going to happen. Why we kind of took this diversion for these sewer d- dwellers is kind of un- under you know just doesn't make sense. In some ways, I can see why it could make sense, but it's not. It doesn't make any sense in this issue. In this issue, it makes no sense. In the next issue, when they are actually apprehended and Catwoman says, look what I can do. I can get these, I can clean up the streets and put us back in charge of Gotham instead of all these crazies. That makes sense. And the fact that Catwoman is watching the entire situation unfold and we find out in the next issue that she has poison ivy in her back pocket as well as Killer Croc, I think... That part, I mean, I guess if they're trying to set up Selena Kyle's character as, you know, a realistic threat to the villains of Gotham, fine, it works. But that's not how it's portrayed here. And it's just, it comes across as, here's just one random issue setting up something that we're going to reveal in the next issue, but we're going to clean it up very tidily in a very short time. Like, this far in the series, it's not necessary at all. They, they could have done this without having – it literally could have been a couple pages yeah. instead of an entire issue and a half. All right. But anyway, <clears throat> Eternal Batman Eternal number 37, I'm going to give this issue two and a half out of five batterings. Uh, two out of five. I'll give it two and a half out of five. And I just have to say that when we're talking about this, quote, seduction scene, that Catwoman is drawn very unattractively. So I didn't really like the art as much in this one, but 2.5 out of five. Yeah. I, I didn't like the art at, in either one of these issues, and it was yeah. done by the same person. I was not a fan of the art at all. All right, so Batman Eternal number 37 gets a total of two and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, the next Eternal. <laughs> Batman Eternal number 28, script by Tim Seeley, art by Andrea Mutati. Uh, the issue starts off with Batman talking to uh, Julia he has tracked down where these villains are. Uh, they have, are now, they have moved from the restaurant that they were in the last issue to now suddenly they're in, 
an old children's home for some reason. I don't understand that. Um, but they have moved and they have now, they now have hostages because I guess this is the plan. Uh, so they're all just standing around. Bane has taken, uh, gone with poison ivy into the basement or into, I guess, the sewers. Uh, we cut to Blackgate Penitentiary where, hey, what do you know? James Gordon, who we haven't seen in probably 20 issues. He's still alive. Um, he's, uh, still cellmates with, uh, Rex Calabrese and Rex is getting a massage from some dude. And, uh, Gordon is kind of, uh, taken aback by the fact that Rex is, you know, trying to help him, but he says, listen, um, the reality of this is that, uh, I could get you out of here if you really wanted to. And he goes, no, I still believe in this. And Gordon says, I still believe in the system. I still believe in Gotham. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Joker's daughter has some sort of hallucination where she, she sees, uh, Mr. Ether bunny, uh, attack her. Jesus. That was, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, like, I don't know any other way of responding to that situation, but, uh, she's, she's taken out rather quick. Um, when, uh, Julia says, Oh, remember to clean that stuff off her face. And Batman says, uh, don't worry. I, if I don't, I'd, I'd be doing her a favor. Um, he then moves on to towards, uh, Mr. Freeze. We see poison ivy leading Bane into the sewers. And she basically says, listen, I actually have some control over you. Um, and guess what? Killer Croc pops out and says, guess what? It's time for a rematch from Arkham War because it's now. Um, he goes, uh, yeah, you, you know, you might have that bat symbol on your chest way back then, but, uh, now you're in my world. You're in the sewers and I'm going to beat you. So we see a fight take place between them. Uh, Killer Croc bites off one of the hoses that's pumping the venom. Mr. Freeze is shown being completely taken out. Uh, I mean, that happened completely off panel. Um, the, the glider is burst into another room where we see, uh, Clayface and Scarecrow. Uh, Batman takes out Scarecrow with a quick punch. As Scarecrow threatens to kill one of the hostages, Batman reveals that the hostage is actually Clayface. Clayface says, man, Crane, you're a horrible, you're a horrible salesman and even a worse actor. Meanwhile, in the sewers, Bane's spurting on about the fact that he doesn't need the venom pumping through him in order to work. Uh, Killer Croc bites his arm and he starts bleeding profusely. Um, Killer Croc then goes on to say, listen, uh, just because I'm big and ugly, a lot of people think I'm ignorant, but I actually like French literature. <laughs> and I actually like thinking about things. Completely random information. But uh, the point is, he starts slicing Bane in different spots, and we see that uh, Killer Croc has figured out that even though the fact that he ha- doesn't need the venom pumping through his veins to make him, all he really needs to do is eliminate his blood, because his blood is what actually holds the venom. If he makes him bleed, he won't be able to have the, the, the strength of what he had, like the strength from the venom. Uh, Bane says, well, then just kill me. Killer Croc says, oh, no, I, it's not about killing you. It's about making an example out of you. Meanwhile, Batman punches Scarecrow out, says, you're done. And we then see Batman head to the sewers where Bane is tied up, waiting, gift wrapped for Batman. Um, in an alleyway, Selena Kyle meets up with uh, Poison Ivy, who uh, she gives a suitcase full of cash to. Poison Ivy gives her a kiss and walks off. 
Then we see Selena Kyle go to the crime families and say, listen, I'm the queen. And what I, the first thing I did was I took out all of these villains and make sure that the city goes back to the rightful masters. We then see Jason Bard sitting down and spurting all this stuff about how he was trying to make Gotham a better place. He didn't do it the right way. He feels bad about it. He wants to make good. And we see that he's talking to commissioner, well, James, James Gordon. James Gordon says, okay, fine. If you want to do something right, just uh, do it by the book and get me out of Blackgate. At the Egyptian nightclub, which now seems to be owned by Selena Kyle, she she proceeds to say, you know, talk about the fact that she is enjoying the fact that she's good at what she's doing. And we see that Killer Croc is now the queen or is now a servant dressed in Egyptian garb. To Selena Kyle. Next, what Riddler knows. All right. So we already talked about Selena Kyle in the last issue, so I'm not going to bring that up. The things I do want to talk about in this issue is the first thing is that Selena, basically, she's using her connections as a, you know, rogue in Batman's rogues gallery. She's using her connections to basically do things that the normal crime families would not do. The fact that she uses Killer Croc, the fact that she uses Poison Ivy to, you know, get to her, you know, to fulfill her objectives. I think it's unique and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Killer Croc dressed in the Egyptian garb saying, you know, I'm your, you know, whatever you say, my queen, don't get that. I don't understand why he's dressed up like that. I get that it's an Egyptian nightclub. Don't understand why he's suddenly her servant. Mm -hmm. Don't understand that at all. Um, because it was never shown that, you know, he was under the control of poison ivy or anything like that. So who knows? Um, really the, the, the fight sequence between, you know, Batman and all these villains was very quick. Again, it, it just, it was like, what was the point? It was so quick and half of the stuff happened off panel. Um, other than, you know, the rematch between Bane and Killer Croc, which took up the majority of the issue, there really wasn't a whole lot that happened. The one thing that I do want to talk about, and the only thing I want to talk about, is this one-page sequence between Bard and Gordon. Oh. Um, Bard sitting there going on about the fact that, you know, he wanted to make everything right, uh, but it didn't work. And he he does say, I went along with his demands. And now, because of me, the city is a war zone. I think that it's interesting that they say that because then that points out what we were talking about last episode, the fact that, you know, he was he a pawn for Hush or was he working on his own? And when we talked about it, we basically said, you know, now that he's still doing this stuff and he's not under the control of Hush, it makes it, it makes us believe that that's the case. But here he's clearly saying that he went along with his demands, leading us to believe that it was Hush who he was following along. And he's he's seemingly upset about the fact that he did this. So it makes it seem like he was under control of Hush, even though he had his own agenda from the beginning. But do you think that Gordon would actually be okay with Bard at this point? Like to actually sit there and say, yes, let me have a conversation with you. <laughs> I think he'd be okay if Bard could get him out of jail. You know, I, I don't think that, I don't think that, I think Gordon's is smart enough of a character that he doesn't have to, be best friends with Bart. If Bart can get him out of jail legitimately, I think Gordon would let him do that. And then for all, and then I could see Gordon's first act when he got out of jail would be throwing Bart in jail. You know? Um, I think Gordon's far enough to realize that he needs to get out of Blackgate and he needs to help the city. 
Now, I don't think he's ever going to be cool with Bard. And I think that the Jason Bard character that we have presented to us here, forgetting all other versions of the character we've seen in history, the version we have here is a pathetic guy, right? Very, I mean, very much so. He's just like, he's not even like villain status. He's just pathetic. Um, so I could totally see Gordon having the brains to use him to get out and then just ridding himself of him. Um, they're never going to be friends. I don't think that'll ever happen. I don't think he'll ever even be, you know, junior detective worthy. But I think that Gordon's smart enough to get himself out of jail. But that would be the end of it. I don't trust Bard this entire speech. I, I feel like he's just looking for a sympathetic ear. And we've see we saw in the previous issue where he's at the diner that no one wants anything to do with him. And he goes to one person who potentially has to sit down and like he can't go anywhere, so he has to listen to him. So he's just feeding him all this stuff to get the sympathetic ear. I didn't like this scene at all. Because I just could not see uh, James Gordon sitting down. I feel like, I don't know how a prison is run, but I feel like you're told who potentially the visitor is um, before, you know, if you're on the other side and, and you can, and I just do not think that he would sit down and entertain a visit from him or be able to control himself and his anger and, and do that. Yeah, I can, you know, he really does want to get at a black gate. I feel like I could almost, it'd be almost more interesting to see him use, uh, his roommate to get out of Blackgate or some other thing, but I guess he wants to do it under legitimate, uh, means because it is Gordon after all, but I just, I could not, it didn't really form in my brain that this would be a, a, uh, sensical, conversation between these two because I think Gordon, he knows. He knows how dark uh, Bard is and that he is to cause for all of this and, and almost destroying the city. I just I think there's much hate in Gordon and he wouldn't be able to do this. Alright, and honestly that's the only question I have for this issue. So Eternal 38, I'm going to give a total of 3 out of 5. 2.5 out of 5. I want to comment on something uh, <laughs> Dustin said quickly about croc because i had a big problem with that at the end because i think the croc that we've seen in eternal he wouldn't be the servant sort of person i also like you know i uh not ivy um catwoman using her means and i think number one she's a woman number two we saw in 37 she was having trouble with getting all of the families to follow her so this is a way i mean she's using what means she has to really get them to follow um he wasn't under ivy's control but remember in 37 <clears throat> Catwoman met up with him at the docks or wherever he was after Batman left and said, you know, let's make this deal. So she helped him get into that place. So I think perhaps he's willingly, you know, this servant, but I just don't think that that is legitimate. I, I can't see that happening. I could see him helping her out and being there from time to time, but not like that. And my other thing was um, Ivy says to Bane that, his years of use of venom actually made him susceptible to her toxins. And I actually, I, I almost wish we could discuss that because I kind of, I don't necessarily believe that because I don't know. It, I feel like he would actually be more immune to it. But those are just some, I just have some grievances about these, uh, these two issues here. And I will give it a three out of five. All right, and over on the website, Ryan gave it three and a half out of five. So that's going to give Batman Eternal number 38 a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, The Last Eternal. Batman Eternal number 39, written by Ray Fox, 
art by Felix Ruiz. Uh, the issue starts off with uh, Batman talking to Julia in the Batcave. Uh, he sent Red Robin to find some sort of clue related to where the location of where the Riddler is located. Um, and he says he knows where the Riddler is. Meanwhile, in Gotham City, en route to Blackgate Prison, we have all of the villains that Batman rounded up in the last issue. Um, the SWAT team is taking them to Blackgate, when suddenly they are stopped and swarmed by other SWAT members who start unloading on everybody until the villains get out of the car. At the Gotham Gazette, Warren, the crime beat guy, is telling Vicky Vale that she needs to basically woman up and, you know, report the story and stop being a sucker, uh, get over the fact that uh, Bard used her and she needs to basically tell everybody what's going on. The catch is that they need to figure out exactly how to prove everything that is happening is happening and is linked because if they don't, it will, it will be a waste of time because nobody will believe them. Meanwhile, at Miller Mountain at the Pine Skills, uh, we see this is a hotel and Batman is all of a sudden a bunch of monitors pop on and we see that Batman is reliving, not reliving, but listening to all these citizens from Gotham talk about how horrible it is. He finds a riddle uh, and then all of a sudden Riddler pops on over the intercom and says you must be losing your touch. Um, I gave you plenty of clues, but I, I can't believe it took you as long as it did to figure out where I was. So he says, I'll see you soon. And so Batman ends up deciding he has to go further up the mountain to get to Riddler. As he gets closer, Julia says, you know, why wouldn't you just take the Batwing? And he says, I can't. There's not going to be any room to land it. Um, he finds a little box. Uh, meanwhile, back in Gotham, uh, all of these villains are standing there. Uh, the villains decide that they can take on the SWAT members that just killed the other SWAT members. And a fight ensues. Uh, all of a sudden, another vehicle pulls up, and inside that vehicle is Clue Master, Rat Catcher, Firefly, you know, all the B-list villains that we saw earlier in the series. They're all there, and then all of a sudden, Selina Kyle pulls up, and she says that she wasn't brought there, and she basically got an invitation to show up. Uh, back on the mountain, uh, Batman goes into a small little cabin, where he finds Riddler, he tells Riddler, you're going to tell me who this is. Riddler just keeps giving him all kinds of riddles and clues, but he's not actually talking and just says, "This is I'm not the person behind all of this. Trust me, what's happening here is that someone's wearing you down. You're not at your best, and you need to, you need to think about what's going on. And... All the, all the meanwhile, we, we are led to believe that Riddler knows who it is, but he's just refusing to talk. Back at the Gotham Gazette, they, uh, uh, Warren and Vicky have started to put together a bunch of different things, talking about how these different things are connected. And then all of a sudden, uh, on the other side of Gotham, we see, uh, Batbots come in and take out a bunch of SWAT members, but not the villains. And the Batbots are, along with a number of other Batman-related weapons and, I guess, technology and things like that, someone comes across an intercom and says, it, it is Signal Man, because he's specifically talking to Signal Man, and says, and it's all for you, all of you, Merry Christmas. Every resource, every weapon that was once used against you by Batman is now yours for the taking. Do with, do what you will with it. I only have one request, go to town. 
Meanwhile, back with Batman, he throws Riddler out. Riddler's like, listen, it's not me. I'm telling you, it's not me. I wouldn't want you at anything less than your best. It wouldn't be a fair fight. And all of a sudden, a bunch of explosions go off, setting off an avalanche that engulfs Riddler and Batman. Meanwhile, back at Gotham Gazette, they it seems that Warren has finally put something together when his his uh, intern, Patrick, comes back in and says, quitting time, shoots him down. And uh, what ends up happening is Patrick says, sorry, Vicky, you weren't meant to be here, but alas, you were. Next up, the wrong answer. A couple different things I want to talk about. First off, well, I guess I was right. Riddler's not the big bad. Um, or, or okay, I, I will admit, I guess it could be, you know, him saying he's not, but I still believe that he's not the villain, so I'm just going to say that I was right. Um, but the reality of it is that uh, I, I do believe what the Riddler is saying, though. I don't know that Riddler would want to wear out Batman and not have Batman at his peak because Riddler wouldn't find that as a challenge. The fact that it's taking Batman time to solve the riddles, more time than, than Riddler would, would normally expect him to, I find it interesting that, you know, he, you know, he's basically saying. The question of is, you know, what is his goal with not telling Batman who it is? If he doesn't want to be in Gotham himself, he says he, you know, he left Gotham because of what was going on and he's been watching from afar because he doesn't want to be involved with it. He received an invitation, didn't want to have anything to do with it. What is Riddler's goal in not telling Batman who it is? I mean, other than just, you know, being the Riddler, I guess. I don't know. I kind of took it as he was almost manic about it. Like, I think it's a little bit of self-preservation. I, I think he believes that if he goes back to Gotham, he's going to die. I mean, he seems, like I said, almost manic about it. Like, dude, whatever we do, we can't go back there. Um, I think that he is legitimately scared, at least in the way it's presented here to us, that the Riddler is legitimately scared of whoever is behind it, and he thinks that if he rats him out, he's he's going to get killed. Um so, I mean, that's the presentation of the Riddler that we have here. Um, again, this to me almost seems like it's a little bit of a dumbing down of, you know, the Joker's getting smarter and it almost seems like the Riddler's getting dumber to me here. So, uh, but that's the best thing I come up with is he seems legitimately scared for his life. Yeah. Part of me wondered if he's very much the, the kind of guy that, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of what his name was. I feel like his last name was Gruber. Uh, it was like Matt Gruber, the guy who played Riddler in the, um, Suicide Squad Assault on Arkham game. Well, it was really Batman, but you know what I'm talking about. So in the interviews with him, he was talking about just this idea of riddles are his way of life and, and very, he's very compulsive about it. And I felt like in his mind when I was reading this, because I, it seemed like he was giving Batman the answer of who it is, but the only way he was able to do it was through a riddle because he kept talking about Echo, and then Batman's just like, who is it, who is it? And he said, you are Echo. And I feel like the answer is right there, but just because of Riddler and who he is, the only way he could answer the question was with a riddle. Uh, but, I, but I do agree certainly with, with Ed that... Uh, it's a, it's a different Riddler than we've seen. Certainly not the Riddler that we saw in Zero Year. So he's really been beaten down um, to a certain extent. And, and you wonder who this big bad is to intimidate him so much. But I feel like the answer is there. I feel like it's there. Yeah, I agree. The 
I guess the thing in my mind that I was wondering about this situation is who could it be that would really scare the Riddler? Like, who could it be? Because, I mean, none of the villains that we see earlier in the issue, none of those villains are going to scare Riddler. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can, like, the way Joker's being written, I could see it being Joker, but Joker is not going to be the villain who's going to be revealed at the end of Eternal. It just can't be because it wouldn't make any sense. You know, it's not going to be Two-Face because Two-Face is presumably dead. So, I mean, like, there's there's a bunch of different things going on, and it's like, you know, at the end of the issue, I will say this, at the end of the issue, when this person, Patrick, shows up and shoots, uh, the way the, the art at least portrayed it was I immediately thought, holy crap, that's James Jr. Just by the way the, you know, the shadows were cast on, but his glasses were sticking out, and I was like, that's exactly how James Jr. was in that first Black Mirror story that Snyder did. I just don't think it's possible that it is James Jr. because if it is him and it is he is the big bad, again, we still have 12 issues left. It seems like it's a little too soon to be doing that. Come, you know, you know, sticking with my arguing point in the last episode where we talked about who is the big bad and, you know, is the big bad Riddler and if it is, if it isn't how long can it go before they actually reveal it? So that being said, the other thing I wanted to talk about was this whole situation that happened with the villains. So literally the last two issues dealt with Batman taking out this group of villains only for the police to round them up, put them in a vehicle, and for whatever reason they're bringing them to not the new Arkham Manor, but they're bringing them to Blackgate. Don't understand that in any way. But putting that aside... Isn't it somehow kind of mute the entire last two issues if they were taken out? Yes, here they yeah. are breaking out and being told, here's free reign of all of this stuff. Why couldn't that have just happened instead of having all that crap that happened in the last two issues other than just to set up Selena Kyle? Well, I mean, I think you just nailed it right there, right? I mean, wasn't the whole payoff of all of this stuff was the, was the confrontation between Selena and them? I mean, I think, I think that was it. I don't understand how they all got put in a car, by the way. Like, that would work. Yeah, you know? I know. Like, well, you know, it, it took Batman fighting to his last effort and using the last of his gadgets, and now let's put him in a van. I mean, so that probably doesn't work, but I think that's got to be the whole point of this, was putting them in a room, having them quote-unquote defeated, um, and rounding them up for Selena, because if there's another reason there, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I guess what we're trying to establish is, you know, is that is that relationship? But other than that, I don't. I, that has to be the only reason for it, um, and and to stretch out page count. So, but did you did you get a sense that somebody else was asking them there? It wasn't Selena asking yeah, them there, right? I, no, okay. I don't think it was Selena. I think because Selena says that it, it was she got an invitation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They well, were no, all brought there. No, I know. I, sorry, I don't think it was set up that Selena set them up to go there. I think the point in the way it was wrote, so we could see this interaction between them and Selena. Right. Yeah, I may I may have said that wrong. I don't think she set it up. I think the whole point in writing it the way it was wrote so we could see this interaction between her and them. Yeah, and I certainly had to reread it because the first time that I saw it, just seeing it without the the bubbles, I thought, give me a break. You just wasted my time with these last two. Why in the world would this make sense, Selena stepping out of the car to gather with these villains? And then, of course, you know, reading it and seeing that she was given an invitation, but I still think it's really weird that she's there moments after, you know, she 
basically betrayed. I, I guess betrayed isn't the right word just because she was never in a league with them to begin with, but she gave Batman intel to take them down. And yeah, I don't know who, who really, the last two issues really muddled the timeline. I think it didn't make sense with the Arkham because we had seen some of them carted away. So how did they get out? But really it was about the rise of Selena Kyle, I think, and, and really coming into her own, um, and just how she's able to handle herself and what her relationship with Batman is at the current time and how she is using him or how he is using her. But that was, I'm, I'm not too sure about it. The only plus is that we're seeing those, um, villains that you mentioned, Dustin, that we haven't seen for a while, like Clue Master, because I think you asked, you know, where have these people been? So it was good well, to see Clue that. Master, I remember Clue Master, he got locked up. After right. the whole thing with Stephanie, but there was still all of the other B-list villains, or yeah. not even B-list, and whatever they were doing, yeah. So the I'm, Clue Master I'm crew. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just glad that we're seeing them again. So maybe we can figure out what the heck what they were doing. Yeah. So you know, I, I'm guessing whoever is the person who just presented all of Batman's tech to these villains, it is whoever the big bad is, whoever it may be. It's. Presumably not Riddler, because at least the way the story takes place, there's no way that Riddler is talking to these people the same time he's dealing with Batman. Mm -hmm. At least the way the, you know, the page, the setup and the layout of the issue happens. So, again, we still have no idea who the big bad is. We're running out of characters, honestly. Um, left, you know, every issue we're running out of characters that it could possibly be. And, you know, who knows? So, Batman Eternal number 39, I'm going to give this one a total of three out of five batterings. Three out of five, I guess. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of five. All right. And over on the website, Ryan gave it three and a half, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number 39 a total of three out of five batterings. That is all of our books. Let's uh, head over to the website and take a look and see what other reviews and editorials we have up on the website. So just running down the list, we have uh, Batman the Jiro Kawada Batmanga, Chapter 24, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it 3 out of 5. Uh, we have a editorial that uh, counters Stella's editorial. It's called Why Convergence Warms My Heart, uh, done by Terry. So take a look at that. He basically gives us the other point of view from Stella's editorial that we talked about the last episode. Uh, then we have uh, Justice, Injustice, Gods Among Us, Year 3, Chapter 12, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it 3 out of 5. Uh, Catwoman, number 37, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it 4.5 out of 5. Batwoman, number 37, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it 2.5 out of 5. Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 37, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it four and a half. Justice League, number 37, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it four. Teen Titans, number five, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it three. Legends of the Dark Knight, chapter 82, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it four and a half. Batman the Jirokawada, Batmanga, chapter 25, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it four. Then we have a new article, another article written by Terry. Uh, he wrote up an article talking about uh, reviewing Eternal's bats giving things we know and things we don't know about Batman Eternal. Uh, definitely give that a read, and if you have some ideas as to what some of them are, definitely give your thoughts and leave comments on that one. Uh, next up, uh, TBU Elseworlds Focus, Batman Gotham by Midnight by Eric. He gave it four and a half. 
that's another one of the new article series that we're featuring on the website, so check that out. Batman Eternal 38, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it three and a half. Batman Annual number three, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it three and a half. Robin Rises Alpha number one, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it five out of five. Batman 66, Chapter 50, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it three. Catwoman Annual number two, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it three and a half. Grayson Annual number one, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it four. Harley Quinn number 13, reviewed by Joseph, he gave it one. Red Hood and the Outlaws Annual number two, reviewed by Joseph, he gave it four and a half. Secret Origins number eight, specifically dealing with uh, Dick Grayson, or specifically even Grayson, um, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it three. Batman, the Jirokawada, Batmanga Chapter 26, reviewed by Joseph, he gave it four and a half. Batman Eternal number 39, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it three and a half. The New 52 Futures End, number 31 through 35, Ryan reviewed it and gave it three out of five. And then finally, Legends of the Dark Knight Chapter 83, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it four and a half out of five. So take a look at all those, edit- those uh, reviews and editorials. Tons of stuff. Uh, hopefully you stick with us over the holidays and we're reading some of that stuff. And, you know, always, you know, do us a favor. And if you're reading the articles, give comments on the articles. You know, leave comments for the guys who are writing. You know, I know if I'm writing an article and I see a comment pop up for one of my articles, it's always a great feeling that other people, you know, you, it's acknowledgement that other people are reading these articles. So just, do, you know, Show your support for these reviews and the guys who are writing the reviews and leave comments on those reviews. Also, you do have the ability to go in and actually leave your own uh, rating for each one of these. Uh, on the reviews, there is a spot where you can put in your rating for each book. All right, so with that, we're going to get into our TBU Spotlight. Tons and tons and tons of books that, <laughs> that happened uh, this month. So... Oh, okay, I'm going to run through the list of all the stuff that we could have picked, and then we will go over what we did pick. Arkham Manor, number three, Batgirl, 37, Batman, Superman, 17, Batwoman, 37, Catwoman, 37, Catwoman, Annual, number two, Earth 2, 29, Earth 2, World's End, number nine through 13, Gotham Academy, number three, Gotham by Midnight, number two, Grayson, number five, Grayson Annual, number one, Harley Quinn, number 13, Harley Quinn Holiday Special, number one, Justice League, number 37, Justice League, 3000, number 12, New Suicide Squad, number five, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 37, Red Hood and the Outlaws Annual, number two, Secret Origins, number eight, Secret Six, number one, Teen Titans, number five, The New 52, Futures End, number 31 through 35, and World's Finest, 29. Wow. The biggest reason there were so many was not only was there the five weeks, but there was also a ton of annuals, so and and a couple specials, so tons of stuff. So let's get into it. Ed, what's your pick for the month? I did Justice League number thirty-seven, wrote by the amazing Jeff Johns and art by Jason Fabick. Um, this is the second part of the Amazo storyline for anyone who hasn't been reading Justice League. Uh, and this issue starts out with Batman and Superman and batting battling patient zero of the Amazo virus. Uh, which is just like the traditional Amazo robot, as in it takes powers and abilities and gives it to people that are infected. So he gets um, Superman's heat vision, vision, and he gets bat wings, which I'm not 100% sure how that worked out. Um, uh, of course, we see that Luther is behind it, and we see him trying unconsciously uh, and unsuccessfully to try to justify himself to, to his sister. 
uh, Wonder Woman shows up and to join the fight against Patient Zero, and uh, an assassin called Bullet shows up to try to kill Luther. Off in that storyline, um, although at the end they do get the the kind of uh, sample of the virus they need to hopefully fix it, uh, we see that the very cleverly named Hazbat suit has been broken, and that Batman has been exposed to the Amazo virus. Um, I, I primarily kind of wanted to, to bring this one up just because. This is a different interpretation of Amazo, which has been a, a kind of a big DC villain and even appeared in Batman Under the Red Hood, uh, the animated movie. Um, and they're doing it as a virus as opposed to the traditional robot. And I was curious what you guys thought of this kind of uh, totally different take on this type of villain. You know, I think, it, again, it's a unique take. Um, reading Justice League with this Amazo virus, you know, I, I will say that uh, – it doesn't seem as big of a story as some of the previous Just League stories, but you know what? I don't mind that at all. Honestly, I think it's, it's, it's so far, it's, it's been well written. I absolutely love Fabic's art. You know, it's, I, you know, I said before, it was sad to see him go from Batman Eternal and even when he was back on Detective Comics, but Just League is a huge step up when you, in the, in the large scheme of things. And I love, Picking up Just League, reading it, and seeing Fabix art, uh, but you know the idea of Amazo as a different character, uh, you know, not not a character, but a different version. I think it's fine. I, I mean, I think it, this is, you know, this is a different take. You know, we talked about it earlier when we were talking about the Joker and things like that, with you know different takes on the characters within the New Fifty Two, and obviously this is just a different version. So I mean, like. I think this works, and I think time, uh, you know, soci- socially, it works better this way than the original creation of the character. Yeah, and I like how it's tied to Luther, and uh, he's sort of feeding a story that he he did it in order to uh, prevent, I guess, violent metahumans, and you kind of wonder if something else is underneath there, and even the person he's talking to. Uh, thought so as well because she calls him out for lying. So uh, I, I thought that was cool that it it is tied to to Luther and of course there's something else underneath the surface. I do like the classic Amazo and and I always really my favorite Amazo is from the the Justice League animated series. I just thought that was so great. And then in the end, you know, he was he was redeemed and he learned. Um, Basically, that he is better than everybody else and shoots off in his face, but he comes back. Uh, and this one, I don't think it's possible for him to be redeemed and very creepy design, certainly, but it's great to see uh, a, a new take on, on a classic. Yeah, and I think this one's cool because it doesn't destroy the original Amazo. There's no reason you, the robot, and, and I think they even name check in this issue that the robot has existed in the, fat, the past. So this is a new story without having to destroy a classic character, which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I thought it was neat, um, to see it kind of wrapped up here, and, and, and you don't, have, sometimes Justice League can get very, too many characters involved, although I normally like it, uh, and this was kind of neat. My only other quick, real quick thing at the end here is, why exactly did Amazo get bat wings from Batman? <laughs> he doesn't have yeah, wings. Yeah, like, I know. You know, the funny <laughs> thing is, when I, when they first announced that they were doing this, uh, the first thing that I thought of was the Just League, I can't remember if it was Just League or Just League Unlimited, uh, cartoon series where they focused on Amazo and they were, Amazo was, you know, taking all their powers and things mm-hmm. like that. And the skill that he took from Batman was the ability to like throw batarangs. 
I mean, like, realistically, Batman doesn't have, an, like, a real, you know, superpower, so what can you really take? He's going to mm-hmm. suddenly become the greatest detective? I don't think so. So, I mean, like, you know, whatever. If he wants to have wings, I don't know why Batman somehow has, you know, bat DNA inside of him that gives <laughs> Maybe him... Maybe he's really a man-bat. Whatever. We've just been revealed that Batman's actually a man-bat. Yes, this is not the Batman. Maybe Stella's right. I just thought it was kind of strange, though. And I, and I realized I did enjoy the issue overall, but that was the one point when I'm just like, why would he take wings? Why wouldn't he just take flight from Superman? Wouldn't that be way easier than sprouting wings? But uh yeah. wasn't quite sure about that. So, All right. So then, Stella, what was your pick for the month? Yeah. So I, I've been reading the, the same DC books, but I feel bad picking the same things for the spotlight. So I wanted to try something new. And I used to love when DC came out with Halloween specials and Christmas specials of just shorter stories that revolved around the holiday and had different characters and they could be big characters or, or lesser known characters. So I decided to pick up Harley Quinn holiday special number one for kicks and giggles. And I actually, it was a lot of fun. And uh, the writers are Amanda Connor and Jim, Jimmy Palmiotti. And there are three stories and Morissette draws for the first story. Brant Peters for and Amanda Connor for the second one, and then the third one is drawn by Darwin Cook. So three stories. Uh, Bad Toy is uh, Harley Quinn basically for some reason forgot to spade and neuter her pets. So there are so many kittens and puppies running around, and they go to a, a supermarket and start giving them away secretly. Uh, they're basically putting them in people's bags. And at one point, the last one she had was Little Pug. And after she gives it away, she regrets this, so she goes to the house, and uh, she she finds the pet and ends up falling asleep. The family wakes up and, and uh, comes downstairs, and the little girl really wants Harley as the the gift. And the father's going to pay some money for Harley to, to be with the daughter. And so you learn that the family's had a, a tragic backstory. Her father is living with her aunt currently because uh, the mother was killed, uh, uh I don't think it was the previous Christmas, but a recent Christmas and the aunt had come to, to help out and, and, uh, kind of a tough relationship between the daughter and the father. And an amusing moment is when Harley actually puts on glasses and you get a sense of, Oh man, this is definitely Dr. Harleen Quinzel that's talking to the little girl right now. And they end up with a ploy, um, to get the two back together. And so it ends up happily ever after that, uh, the father and the daughter have a, uh, a better relationship at the end of that. Uh, the second story, that was the longest by far. The second story is, uh, kind of a weird one, but I guess Harley Quinn, you know, get your cheer out of my ear. And basically, a humbug infiltrates Harley's ear, and, um, it's like this little bug, and it hums for, I think, 72 or, it, it, like, two days straight, I think. Um, and it's just and so she's going crazy and trying to get it out, and she ends up going to Santa Claus. Santa Claus licks a can, licks it in her ear, and the humbug attaches itself to it and, and pops out, and that's that story. And um, the last one is Killing Time, 
And Harley finds a gray hair on her head. She starts freaking out and then thinks about time and is there a way to kill time? And then she finds this old man whose name is Time, his last name, but spelled T-Y-M-E. And she goes there and is uh, about to, to kill him, but she has some second thoughts. She meets his family and things like that. And uh, w- one of the children teaches her a lesson just about uh, time and you know, and then also the, the child pulls out the gray hair. So it's all solved in the end. And, uh, those are the three stories. So just wacky fun. Um, and I love little holiday specials. Um, gosh, it, well, I, you know, what, if you had a favorite, which was your favorite story of these three and why? Well, I I honestly didn't have a favorite amongst them. Okay. Um, or one I, that you liked the best, maybe. I, well, I'll just say this. Overall, I thought it was a little kooky, but then again... <laughs> it's Harley Quinn! Yes. Then again, it is Harley Quinn's, and everything is really meant to be seemingly kooky all the time. The, pro- the only thing I have to say is, you know, knowing that... Harley is, I mean, don't get me wrong, the sales for the, for Harley books is insane, and I understand that's why they keep putting more and more out, but it almost feels like they're starting to, in some ways, saturate the market, just because, you know, we had the Comic-Con special back in July, she's got her ongoing series, we just had an annual for Harley Quinn, and now we have this, and we know in, in uh, February we have a Valentine's Day special, so it seems like Every holiday, she's going to somehow have these these specials, and I don't think there's a necessity for it. Don't get me wrong; I think that the the Harley Quinn book, um, you know, it's a breath of fresh air. It was a breath of fresh air when it first came in. Now there's a lot of other things to choose from that are very different than the main, you know, Batman books, as well as the fact that for the longest time everything was so dark and grim. There was a lot more to choose from, and I feel like. They did a really good job of like introducing what could be, but I feel like it almost seems like they're just, they're going so far out there in some cases that it seems almost like, well, we're just doing whatever we randomly can come up with or whatever our five-year-old daughter can come up with because, you know, they think it would look cool just because they can because the book sells really well. And that's the only problem I have. And I know that's, you know, a bah humbug, but whatever. Well, at least it's only a little problem you have with it. Um, I don't know. I'd probably say so. I probably like the uh, the first one the best. Um, I did like the art on the second one the best, though. Mm-hmm. I thought the art style on the second one was really good. And Darwin Cook's art is always Darwin when Cook's art. And I don't mean that to be uh, negative anyway, but you always know exactly the style you're going to get from Darwin Cook. And I think he's a, I think he's a really, really, really good artist. Um, but, yeah, I, w- I would definitely say the first. I don't know why I liked it. It was just the, the one story that I was – I was gravitated to um, more than anything else. Um, overall, I thought it was good. I, I do understand what Dustin's saying too, though. There is there is just a lot of 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 these these books, um, but again, the sales numbers are just staggering on Harley Quinn. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nuts how crazy it is. It's it's a top ten DC book right now, and every time they put out a special, it's it blows away sales numbers. Have you noticed that, Dustin? It's insane. Yeah. Um, I mean, this thing is selling more than I think. It's besides Justice League, Batman, like Superman, Action, and Detective. It's like right there, you know. Um, I, I, 
again, I, I don't know how many how many special Harley books we can have, but I think it's it's proving that you can have a not a grim dark book and, and be enjoyable. But um, I thought this was a this was a a, a cool holiday special, um, and I do like these these kind of special event books around the holidays. So yeah. um, I, I think they're fun. Um, I would pick the first one as my favorite. The art on the second one is my favorite. Um, but yeah, I kind of hope that I would like to see more specials and I would like to see him do them with characters besides Harley Quinn. Um, I think there's some other cool characters we could see some one-off specials from, but I like this overall and it was nice to have, um, you know, especially coming off end game and things like that. Something that's a little uh, lighter in tone, uh, for the holiday season. Okay. Exactly. I, I, I just have to say this. Okay. Scrooge. Thinking about it. I came across extremely negative about this, but in reality, I do like the idea of holiday specials too. I just feel like uh-huh, uh-huh. with Harley, it seems like they're just, like there's other characters that they could do holiday specials with. It doesn't have to be Harley specific. And the thing is, when you get so much Harley, when you have her get you know three or four stories in the special, on top of an annual, on top of her main series, there's a lot of Harley. That's what I'm saying. It's I like the idea of the holiday special. I like the idea of holiday specials in general. I just I just wish they could, you know, feature other characters other than just the same cast of characters that already appear in the main Harley Quinn series. If I did have to pick my favorites, I honestly would probably pick the uh the one where she gets the humbug in her ear and has to go to Santa Claus. I did think it was kind of amusing. I know I'm a Grinch, but you know, Dude, when, when, when but you apparently it. you felt guilty enough to come back and rectify what you said. Yeah, well, I started to see my ghost of Christmas future. <laughs> the chains were rattling. Uh, yeah, I, I, like I said at the beginning, I love the holiday specials, and and we haven't had them for several years. I feel like, um, when was like the last one I remember like we had was maybe I don't know. Well, Christmas, yes. Uh, the last one, the last. Holiday specific, not holidays in the Christmas season, but the last one that I specifically remember was, it was one of the last issues of the all new Batman Brave and the Bold, which was a Valentine's Day special oh. that featured Batgirl and Batman. Oh yeah. And that was mm-hmm. probably still like three years ago. I, I think there it was, was a, like 2011. Yeah. There was a Valentine's special last year though. Was there? It was the one. Oh yeah, the right? super one. Right after Superman and Wonder Woman started making out. Oh, all of yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, uh, that, but it's so bad. I don't remember it. Yeah. But it no was, Christmas. No Christmas and no Halloween. And Halloween is mm-hmm. one that you think the, the, the comic industry no would get all over. Yeah. You know, um, but so, yeah, I, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, and, uh, you know, when I was reading this, I was also, I was certainly getting a, a Gotham adventures or, um, uh, Batman Adventures or the, um, I just, you know, a fun Harley Quinn. And when I, I just remember the Batman the Animated Series episode where, where she and, uh, I think Ivy, right, use Bruce Wayne to go shopping and stuff at Christmas. I remember that one Christmas episode. So it was just fun and it brought me back. Uh, I think I also liked Bad Toy just because 
there was wacky insanity, but there was also like a nice message in there and she helped out a family. So she wasn't always crazy. And it was also nice to just get a little sense of who Harley was because when she put on those glasses from Mr. Potato Head and started babbling out some psycho speech, um, psychotherapy speech, I, I thought that was great. So I, I do recommend, um, uh, picking it up and, uh, I'm not going to complain like Dustin about it. So you can listen to Dustin on the one side of your shoulder, or you can listen to Stella on the other side. You just compared me to the devil. <laughs> well, no, you, you're assuming that I'm the angel. <laughs> I think you did just compare to the devil. <laughs> <laughs> what I meant to say. Ooh, okay. Your turn, Dustin. Okay. All right. So as far as what I picked this month, um, I too, like Stella, wanted to choose something that I normally don't choose. And even though we do have the same group of books every single month, essentially, to pick from, um, there are some books out there that, you know, we normally don't pick just because they are so outside of what generally we cover here. Um, my pick for this month is Earth 2, number 29. And now you're probably wondering to yourself, why would you pick Earth 2? Because it doesn't even take place in normal continuity, and you're such a continuity freak, Dustin. Well, the reality of it is that uh, the reason I picked this was because I thought it was a very interesting issue, because it focuses on Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon in, uh, you know, their versions in Earth 2. Um, so just kind of give me a setup of this situation. Okay, so... I, I hate to say this, but in some ways, ever since Earth 2 World's End, the weekly series started, it seems like a lot of the events that were occurring in Earth 2, uh, the main series, they're not, you know, they're not really focusing on that many things. It kind of, they started doing side stories, still falling in line with the time of everything that's happening with Earth 2 World's End, but it's not as, you know, they're not as important of stories because of, the fact that the, the series, or the Earth, I should say, has its own weekly series happening at the same time. That being said, that gives you the opportunity to cover, you know, much smaller stories, focusing on, you know, not as important characters to everything. So, right now, in Earth 229, basically what's taking place is that in Chicago, Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon are married. They have a son whose name is Johnny. Uh, there's basically meteorites coming down and they, the, the, the meteorites are crashing all over the place and Dick is trying to save Barbara and his son. Uh, Barbara tells him, tells the son to run to Dick. She presumably gets crushed by a meteorite, but wait, no, she doesn't. She doesn't get crushed by a meteorite. Um, she's only just pinned down by some debris um, we are then introduced to the Harley Quinn version of her from Earth 2. She says to Dick and Barbara that she's going to help them, and they're going to ride off to their this new place. She introduces him her she uh, the Harley this Harley Quinn, which they don't refer to her as Harley Quinn; they refer to her as Lottie. Um, they she presents to them her weapon of choice, which happens to be a sledgehammer. Meanwhile, Johnny ends up getting, uh, he ends up getting taken by some, like a, somebody and Harley, I keep saying Harley Lottie uses this hammer on the guy to get the boy back. She then takes him to this place called Gamora. Now, those of you who are unfamiliar with what Gamora, the significance of the name Gamora, 
Uh, I'll just tell you to Google Sodom and Gomorrah and you'll figure it out. Uh, but let's just say it's not a good place. If someone was taking you to a place called Gomorrah, probably not the best place you'd want to go. But anyway, they go there. Turns out it's a bunch of, you know, people that look like they're sideshow circus acts. Uh, they knock Dick out. They take the boy and they take Barbara off. Turns out they're going to use Barbara as a sacrifice to a parademon that they have caged up in the middle of their compound. Um, basically what has happened is the, uh, the guy who's in charge of this Gamora, he's rattling on about all this weird crap. And, uh, the parademon ends up, uh, not wanting Barbara. The cage gets opened and he rushes out of the cage and rips off the head of the guy who's in charge of the compound. Meanwhile, we see that, uh, their son is still lost, but they get on to Lottie's bike, Barbara and Dick, and they take off, and they're going to look for their son. So, there's not much I really want to bring up. I just thought the reason I specifically picked this was because it was cool to see, you know, a different version of Dick and Barbara, a, a, a version where, one, they're together, they're married, they have they have a family. That's That's cool, because one of the really cool things about, you know, focusing on Earth 2 even if it is such a small little fraction of what they're focusing on, the cool thing is seeing different versions of the characters that we love, which, you know, kind of ties in with my, you know, fascination with the Elseworlds and the idea of various different versions of the characters. So it was cool to see, you know, uh, I will say that the story immediately picked up in Earth 2 Worlds End number 9 um, and continued on from there, um, but... I thought I just thought it was unique, and you know, if you guys, did you guys like the way that the two of them were portrayed, or did you have problems with it? Uh, I like the way they were portrayed. I think that it will be interesting to hear Stella's thoughts on this because we know she was a big believer in that in this relationship. Um, but I think it's nice to see them. Um, the the Dick is a little different in this book, uh, but that's fine. It's a different universe. I don't have any issue with it. Um, it was enjoyable, um, and it was it was funny for me because I read uh, Earth Two normally in trade, so this was like a this was like a Batman thirty three for me, a glimpse into my future. Um, but interesting, uh, and I do kind of like the um, Earth Two Harley Quinn. She's 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 absolutely Earth Two Harley Quinn. Like there's no leaving it to your imagination. Um, I'm not sure about the blue coloring as opposed to the red and black. That's kind of weird, but um, yeah, it was it was fun, and, and actually for. Uh, a story that is so big in scope as what's going on in, in the Earth 2 Weekly and the um, Future's End and all that, uh, this really did seem like a self-contained one-issue story, uh, which was good because you didn't feel like you had to read before or after anything else. You felt you, you could just read this and, and get what you wanted, which, um, quite frankly, is, is, a, is a minority in comics at all. So it was, it was kind of fun in that way, too. Friends, listeners, get out your diaries because you need to mark down this very episode that Dustin has basically, without admitting in such words, that he ships Dick and Babs. And he is a shipper. Remember, he used to yell at people and me for saying shipper all the time. So I just want that to be noted. Um, it was great, you know, seeing this cover 
what a surprise it was because I don't actually normally read this. So Dustin was wondering why I didn't pick it. It's because it was not on my radar whatsoever. Um, so reading it, it was, it was such a joy. Uh, this is honestly something that I could realistically see happen in our regular universe. I just feel like it's, it's something that could potentially happen. And so to see how it could work out was great. Uh, of course, there was a moment of tragedy. Um, but then it's it's brought back and to see them with a kid and and just how they interacted and and their their fun uh demeanor uh with each other was just wonderful. I thought it was just really well written and I enjoyed the story. Right. Shipper. So those are our picks for this month. Obviously, there's tons of other stuff we could have chosen from um but we still have a couple more months before convergence comes and we're all thrown upside down. So, with that being <laughs> said, be sure to check out all of the books we have, you know, that we have mentioned, as well as the books that, uh, as well as all the reviews that are, have also been done for all of those other books that we didn't necessarily cover here, but were reviewed over on the website. In addition to that, I just want to remind everybody that, uh, in two weeks, that episode that we release, that will be the episode we will be taking your listener Q&A, so I encourage you to leave your comments on this episode and the last episode 150 and 151, and we will cover those comments on the next episode. You must leave your comments before the weekend of the 17th in order for them to be read on the episode, but of course, they still leaves you one week from the time this is released to leave your comments over on the website. In addition to that, I just want to let everybody know, as I've said multiple times in the past, you know, we're always looking for staff for the website. But uh, we had to shift around some reviews because Corbin has taken a leave of absence for a little bit of time. So we had to shift around some of the reviews. So we do have some books that have opened up. So if you're interested in reviewing any of the following books, be sure to let us know. The books that we currently have openings for include Batwoman, Gotham by Midnight, Teen Titans, Earth 2, Earth 2, World's End, World's Finest, Secret 6, Injustice Gods Among Us, the digital series, as well as Infinite Crisis, the digital series. And if there's anybody out there who is at all interested in reviewing Tiny Titans or like to assign their child to write reviews <laughs> for the website, by all means, let oh my us gosh. Know. Child labor laws are going to be all on you. Freelance. Freelance. That's uh-huh. what this is. Yeah. Nope. So... That being said, if you're interested in reviewing any of those books or if you're interested in reporting news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and the comics, be sure to let us know as we will try to get more news up on the website. Doing great on editorials at this point. Also, if you have editorials just in general or you have an idea for a new you know, article series or something like that, just let us know. Uh, click on the We Want You for TBU link at the bottom of the website page, and we will get back to you with opportunities that, you know, whether or not stuff will work out. So do that. Also, be sure to check out the website for news related to everything I already mentioned and the reviews. We do have reviews posting generally every single week. Well, no, there are reviews posting every single week. I'm not sure why I said that, but there are reviews posting every single week, so check out all of that content. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for the latest news and videos. Also, be sure to leave us reviews in iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And again, leave your comments on the website for this episode. With that, I hope you guys had a great holiday. Uh, hope you guys had a great holiday, and 2015 is going to be another huge year for the Batman universe. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.